Blog Talk Radio. Two fights on there that you could 
I think the second best fight of the night is on there. So there's six fights total. And uh, I'd say four out of the six I have either, you know, really a whole lot of interest in. Maybe the two prospect fights are the ones I'm pretty interested in. And then, of course, uh, Stanonius and Butiev or Butaev. Um, and then, of course, Spence and Ugas. And there's a lot of intrigue in this fight. Some people are not all that excited about this fight. And I'm not talking about the folks that I, the only welterweight fight I want to see is Crawford Spence. That's it. Well, wonder if Ugas beats Spence. You know, then what? Then then you don't want to watch Ugas Crawford? <laughs> no. Um, it's There's a lot of, I'm not going to say full-on mystery. Right, because after that car accident in a long, long layoff over a year, we did see Errol Spence come back. And all things considered, I thought he looked very good considering. Did he look 100% in the top level that we've seen him at? No. No, I don't think so. But all things considered, I thought he looked pretty damn good. Um, But pretty damn good gets tougher and tougher. You know, Danny Garcia compared to Ugas and what he does in the ring, especially at 147, and then ultimately Terrence Crawford and and Thurman or whatever, it's a different story. So, you know, Spence hasn't had a a fight since December 2020, right? Is that correct? Yeah, 2020. Now, obviously, you know, last, what was that, August, he was supposed to fight Pacquiao. Um, I talked about this a little bit. Some people push back on it. Um, the fact that at least he got damn close to a, a full training camp preparing for Manny Pacquiao, at least he got that. I'm not in any form or fashion saying like that's, a, like that's as good as having a full fight with eight-ounce gloves on because it's not. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like he was uh, on the shelf and resting his body because he couldn't he was still trying to get over the car accident or something like that. Uh, now, obviously, there's the, the other intrigue and mystery to it is how that eye will hold up. You can say I got hit in sparring, and, and, and that's obviously you got to test it somehow, right? And maybe it will be just fine. You know, we've seen plenty of, you know, boxers come back from it. I mean, just ask Abner Mares, But it's not like they come back all the time. You know, 100%. And this is at the top levels of the sport. So I've kind of had a mixed bag of what people think in this matchup. Clearly, uh, Ugas is a very live body. If you look at the, uh, you know, what he's sitting at the betting odds, um, I would take out more than a flyer on him. Um, But, yeah, I'm really intrigued. You know, if this is 100% or 100% Spence and we knew it, and I don't expect it to be 100% just because he's been out of the ring once again for over a year. I mean, what is that? Yeah, that's coming on another 15 months plus out of the ring. So I don't expect we're going to see the, the t- tippy-top level of Spence, even if his eye's okay and his body's fully healed and, you know, we know he's got a nutritionist now and – um. So he can, you know, make the weight better, you know. Um, But there's just a lot of intrigue. I haven't heard as much X's and O's, which I think is a tad bit disrespectful to Ugas. Um, I hear the majority of the talk is Spence is just 
done. So that's why he's going to lose this fight, um, which that could be, you know, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be. And, and like I said, I'd feel a lot more confident had these long breaks. One fight since September 2008, that's a long ass time. And we saw a guy like Golovkin who was out of the ring for a while, you know, have some issues early. Um, but anyway, we will definitely preview and predict that fight. Um, there is some other other news out there. Um, we'll do a little bit on the Kinahan stuff. I'd mentioned Andy Ruiz <laughs> returning. It's not the Luis Ortiz fight that we wanted. Um, that's for sure. Also, Gervonta Davis is, uh, after this fight, is done with his Mayweather Promotions contract. A lot of speculation, a lot of rumor mill stuff out there of, who will he sign with? What network will he sign with? Will Showtime say, hey, let's just sign him, you know, so we have him? Or will he, you know, I hear a lot of speculation and rumors about, oh, he can go to ESPN or he can go to Zone or whoever brings up the most money. And those are fair, you know, speculation rumors. I get it. That's fair. But it's also like, why couldn't he just be with Al, you know, and not have a promoter? And have, you know, a promoter, work. obviously a promoter would be there, you know, for his fights, but it'd be more like a fee scenario uh, rather than taking a cut of his money per se, like directly out of his check type stuff. So there is some other news out there. It sounds like uh, Usyk and AJ now have a, a different targeted uh, month now in, in, in well, I don't know about location just yet, uh, for their fight. A little bit more follow-up on the Spence Ugas Vada stuff. Um, so there is some other other news out there. Of course, we'll have a little bit of the boxing Twitter segment as well. A lot of people talking about Mayweather's, you know, exhibition fight, you know, landing so close to, uh, to Tank's fight, and if that's his way of, you know, being Mayweather at times, right? <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, there's a lot. I don't know. It, it doesn't. But anyway, if this is your first time listening to the Ropa Dope Radio Podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Ropa Dope Radio. Uh, you don't have to go to Blog Talk and download the show directly there or listen to the browser. You can find this year boxing podcast under the Ropa Dope Radio Podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Player FM, TuneIn, Spricker, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. A couple of folks have recently been telling me about one more thing, if you're thinking about cutting the cord or you have, you're not quite happy, I got something for you. It's called Direct TV Stream. The prices start as low as $69.99 a month. It's the best of live TV and on demand. No annual contracts, no hidden fees. If you upgraded the Choice or Ultimate Package, that gives you three free months of HBO Max, plus you get to enjoy regional sports networks. Without the additional fees and boxing fans, you may be interested in this part twofold. If you go to the Premier Package, that gets you HBO Max and Showtime already included. I believe it's $11 for Showtime on this platform. And, of course, the platform is DirecTV Stream. Okay. Um, I mean, damn. I, I knew that, um, you know, Lubin and Fondora would be fun, obviously. Like, uh, the style seemed to you know, match up pretty damn well um, and all that good stuff. But I didn't see this 
100% coming. It, it had fight of the year feel to it, no doubt about that. Um, but this one, you know, this one really superseded it, man. It, it was a hell of a fight. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's just, <laughs> Fundora, just look at him. Ever since, you know, I've gotten to see him up close a couple times because he fought at the Armory, but it's like you really can't get over what he, the size, the skinniness, the leverage he can get on his, his punches. A lot of people look at, you know, skin and bone, bones, all arms, all legs, and go, how can he have any power? It's like, well, are you sure, though? Are you positive? Now, I'm not trying to say Tommy Hearns, but that's the easy example, right? That's the easy example. Um, like, you know, the leverage of punching down and whatnot. Uh, but it's just it's just fun to watch a fight, dude. Like that fun, that fun, that fun Dora, fun Dora. I mean, it's fun. But anyway, Erickson Lube, by the way, um, he came out looking pretty sharp. There was some two-way stuff in the first round, but I thought he looked pretty good first round and throughout the fight. I mean, it's not just like it was the first round. He won rounds. I think he was actually up on the scorecard. I think he had won. I think there, I think two out of the three for, were five, 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 four. I believe. Maybe I'm wrong with that. Um, yeah, I think that's what it was. Maybe all four were five, four. Anyway, um, but that second round, um, there was still a lot of good back and forth. Some really, you know, solid body work um, by Lubin, but the early uppercuts and these short hooks. Um, really set the tone for the round. And then later, um, there was a uppercut um, that clearly shook up Ruben. Lubin. Ruben. Lubin, he, he, was, he was hurt. He was hurt. And it was like a right, it was a right uppercut late in that round that scored the knockdown. And like I said, he was doing really good. And then you're like, oh, oh no, he's on the ground. And he, he did look phased from it. It wasn't just a flash knockdown. Even when he was, you know, going back to the corner, how he, he kind of held the ropes, and you're like, oh, boy. is this The chin thing came out early, but, you know, in the end, it actually wasn't his chin per se because he did manage to – he never got, you know, knocked all the way out or, or, you know, he got TKO'd technically, but it was a stoppage. It was a good stoppage. But anyway, what I liked about it, you know, round three, round four, he got right back into it. Um you know, Fundora started out early in that um, round, probably because he just knocked him down, throwing flurries of combinations. But Lubin had a beautiful counter uh, right hand and a lead right hand. He also, he probably stole with clean punching late in that third round. On my card, Lubin actually stole that round, but it was close. I gave him the fourth round, too. By that time, you're just like, dude, this is a good-ass scrap. I actually just wrote that down there. I thought Lubin was uh, moving pretty well, boxing, you know, fairly well, and then, you know, landing his pot shots. Now, the fifth round, that was pretty damn competitive. You know, you had Lubin go to the body um, and, and throwing the right hook either to the body or head, and then the combination punching of Fundora, did that give him that round? Um, once again, though, the sixth round, Pundor kind of started taking back the fight cleanly. That pressure, um, 
Yeah, I think he was averaging like 80 punches per round at that point. Um, and Lubin was landing clean, um, but he was just hanging around on the inside too much and just getting hit clean as hell. And like I said, Fundora, he, he was taking some shots, too. That dude has a chin, man. I mean, crazy chin. And then seventh round came around, and it was, what, a left uppercut? That dropped him, I believe. I think it was uh, it was late in that round. I think it was a – oh, no, no, no. Fundora started out with the uppercut in the start of that round. Um, Lubin, you know, his his just started looking like bruised and bloody. You know, I think he had like a – did they say a separated shoulder and like a broken nose? Um, but, you know, I think it was a – I mean, counter right hands as well, Lubin. I think it was a counter right hand, wasn't it? What was the knockdown? I think it was a counter right hand, but he was landing left uppercuts, um, his hooks. I mean, both of them were landing left hands and uppercuts and hooks, actually, a lot of that. Um, But Lubin, late in that round, scores the knockdown. And at that point, you're like, holy shit. You know, it really looked like uh, Fundora had had a nice round, uh, very, you know, close competitive fifth round after, uh, and the third round was competitive too, but Next thing you know, you know, it's just, it was like a rapid fire, like flush lands rapid fire. That's what, uh, you know, caused the knockdown. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Lubin, I don't know, like he landed maybe eight or, or ten right hands after that. I mean, he was just going nuts, right hands and hooks. Um, but you, like I said, you can really see that Lubin's nose was starting to, to swell really bad. He just was not looking good. And then eighth round, right when you're wondering, all right, dude, you know, is Lubin going to jump on him? He's got to be a little careful, but he's probably going to jump on him. And although it was a close round, I did actually favor Fundora in that one. I thought he did enough work early in the round and late. Um, And Lubin landed plenty of straight left hands and some late hooks and all that. So that was a competitive round. Could have went either way. Ninth round, Bundora just amping up the pressure. Steady pressure. One hand, free, busy work. Um, just landing, you know, hard shots. There was a late left hook as well. And, you know, was it an early st- – well, first of all, the ref didn't stop it per se, right? <laughs> well, not per se. He didn't. Kevin Cunningham stopped it. And some folks thought, you know, you probably could have let him go. What was it, the tenth round? You only had a few rounds left. Um you know, I get some of that, but I'm not up here freaking out about how that fight went down. You know what I mean? I just, I'm just not. I, I'm just not. I don't – I'm just not freaked out about that because, to me, I don't know. After a while, his demeanor, like I said, and we talked about it going into the fight, when he gets kind of shook up, and just at times when the, when the fight's like a back-and-forth fight, he just – he kind of stands straight up, stands right, he, especially in this fight, stood right on the inside and had this kind of high guard earmuffs, but it just didn't do much. It just left him open, It's you know, and, and he just exploited that. And now Fundora, I mean, this dude's just a handful for anybody, really. I mean, he just really is. He just, 
like I said, he's got a hell of a chin. Uh, he's not a faded old guy or something. He's super young. He's coming into his prime. He's made these leaps and bounds of – they've moved him fast. And some guys that doesn't work with, obviously Lubin, you know, you could say that too, although he built back against some, you know, quality guys. Um, Fundora just – like I said, he's going to be hard to deal with. Now, you know, sometimes people go over the top, you know, on fight night. Like, oh, Fundor is the number one guy in the division, hands down. He would tear up, you know, Charlo in, you know, Castaño. And it's like, well, hold on, dude. You know, let's let's calm down, take a deep breath. But either way, he's going to be a handful because he's coming, he's coming. These uppercuts he throws, he could throw them on the inside. He could throw them from the outside that appears to be way too far away, but he he gets away with it. Um, like I said, that one-hand free stuff, he, I mean, he's a damn good fighter, dude. And he is one of those guys that I think just because of the freak of nature stuff, maybe it's because of who he's backed by, but he has been kind of – well, he had that draw, and I think that's what kind of people started putting a little ceiling on him. But they just kind of looked – a lot of people just looked at him like a freak show, and ultimately he's limited, and he doesn't have a ton of power. But he's got pop, but now you're like, well, maybe he has more power than we we think, you know? Because he's doing damage, and, I, I you know, it, like the last fight he did try to measure himself, like, you know, not measure himself, but, you know – at a measured pace is what I was trying to say. And I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like I, I a lot of people thought, I don't know. Some people will just be like, dude, why are you fighting like that? And, and that was me. That was one of them. Like, I'm not sure that's your style, dude, you know? Um, but also, in the same breath, maybe he will have to use that style again at some point. It didn't seem like he was great at it. I'll say that, but. Um, I would, I'm just impressed with him, and, and I'm really interested to see. You know, he's in a division that's so deep that you know, I don't. You know, I, I believe Tim Zhu. I mean, who knows? Maybe this thing goes to the courts. <laughs> um, but I believe Tim Zhu has the first right, per se, at um the winner of uh, Charlo Castaño, but he even said he knows those guys because they're fighting in May. He knows those guys aren't going to be fighting right in the summer again. So it did make it sound like Tim Zhu wanted to take another fight. And, I'll, you know, whoever wins the fight, assuming someone wins that undisputed fight May 14th, I wouldn't doubt if, they, you know, some belts are dropped at that point and they're just looking at the best money fight or whatever, you know. So... And, you know, maybe injuries play a part. I know there was uh, – this created a mandatory on the surface. Now it has to be called, you know. And I think because of the delay – I mean, obviously there's a rematch that's coming, but it also got – the rematch got delayed because, remember, that was supposed to happen in, what, March? So a lot of times these sanctioning belts will – you know, these sanctioning bodies will just put like an interim belt, you know, on one of these title eliminators. And that's basically what they did. I'm almost positive they did. They put an interim belt there, and it's kind of like, 
it keeps that side happy. But, you know, hopefully sooner than later it, it'll be together again. Um, because, you know, interim belts really shouldn't be there. Like the mandatory thing in the last few decades, you've seen that a lot more where it's just like, well, this is going to be the mandatory. They're going to fight at some point. So we'll just give me interim. And, and obviously they're getting, you know, money off it too. <laughs> so uh, I know there was a trinket uh, strap for this or whatever, but um, yeah, I mean, the stylistic matchup, he's got a chin. He's going to come to you pretty much the whole night. It's going to be interesting. Man. But yeah, that for me, just because of how two-way that was, like the only other fight is Wood Conlon. And the way that ended, it, it had a better knockout ending. I think that's obvious, you know. Um, and thank God Conlon's okay. But the, the Conlon pretty much was winning that fight fairly cleanly. And then drama ensued, you know what I mean, later. So for me... Whereas this was like the whole time it was popping and it was two-way. You know, there's there's probably two swing rounds and the thing only went, what, nine rounds? Um, and two knockdowns. Um, so I, I think it's the fight of the year right now. Not to say that it'll hold up. It's only April. But um, for me, it's the fight of the year so far. And, and uh, it's just, you know, we talked about how last weekend was like the, the kickoff, right? Like this is from here until you know until july basically april may june the schedule is just jammed what a way to start this shit off man um just briefly touching upon some of the undercard stuff tony harrison and sergio garcia um that one was worth we talked about that last week how it was worth putting a flyer on tony harrison it was tough to know exactly what Harrison you were going to get. You know, he had a lot of distractions outside of boxing, you know, a death in the family, time away, a um, whole lot of stuff, you know. Whereas Garcia, even though he lost his last fight, it's not like he uh, got completely schooled or something like that by Fundor, right? Um, and, you know, I don't know. It just, it's, I didn't quite know what we were going to get, but I was interested in the fight for a variety of reasons. But Harrison, I mean, how many rounds did you give to Sergio Garcia? I mean, you know, he had his moments in the fight. He was definitely, a, you know, trying to apply pressure and all that. And he was doing an okay job at, at times. Um, he'd land a good right uppercut. Um but he just overall, he wasn't able to do much damage on the inside where he wants to do it. And he was just, uh, he was just getting beat cleanly, just getting frustrated. Um, whereas Harrison, you know, the, that right counter, um, obviously the, the power jab the whole time, the crisp jab. The big right hands off that stick and move or a left hook, he'd throw it in there. Um, just a jab counter alone. And with those counter or lead pot shots with the right hand. I mean, he just, he handled his business and looked, that was just a, a really just quality performance by Harrison. And now all of a sudden you're like, hey, Harrison and Zoo, you know, like, 
And that's what's awesome about 154. You can just mix and match. And I mean, there's just so much to it. You know, there's so much to it. So that was a great performance. Now, not as, you know, not as two way as I thought. That's for damn sure. Um, but sometimes when it's like, well, it was a one-sided fight, but when you look at it, you're like, that was dominant, though. And, and, and so, you know, would I have liked it to be more two-way? Yeah, but, man, Harrison put on a hell of a performance. Um, we'll talk about a variety of other things. Ryan Garcia came back, um, and it looked like, like I was saying earlier, it kind of looked like he was loading up on his shots way too much early trying to land that one big shot. Uh, he would work the body, but not nearly enough. He would throw his jab, but not nearly enough. Um, now, the guy he was fighting, you know, uh, to go, <laughs> Tago, he was trying to go. You know, he, was, he wasn't trying to really fight much. He was spoiling a lot of it. He was moving a lot. But Garcia... He looked pretty determined early in that fight to knock him out. He was trying to cut the ring off. He was using his feet to really close the gap. And not to say that he didn't at all do that, because he did. But he just, when he had him closed off or in a corner, it seemed like, like I said, he was settling for that big shot rather than setting it up a little bit better. So do I think he looked as horrible as some people thought? No. But he didn't look great, you know. I guess I didn't really know what to expect um, in this first fight back. But, you know, the dude he fought, you know, obviously had a pretty good chin. He got hurt multiple times. So it's not like he didn't hurt him, uh, Garcia. You know, he definitely did. It just, like, let's say in four months they fought again. I have a feeling that Garcia could probably stop him. Um, that's just, there's no facts that, you know, back that up. Um, but but I, I feel like he could. But who knows? Who knows? But, you know, Ryan Garcia talks about this fight with Maxie Hughes, Max Hughes, and it's like, that really doesn't do a whole lot for me if they're just trying to, keep him active what it's april and they bring him back in august or something like that and it's just that well you know then i may have a little different mentality on it but i don't know we'll see you know a lot of people are saying hey gervonta is going to sign with golden boy and the zone and then the fight can happen there well i don't give a shit where the fight happens that's fine i mean it's gonna now we know on the zone it's gonna be pay-per-view either way but um as far as, like, Ryan Garcia fighting one of these top guys like Devin Haney or now we got to put Cambosis in there, you know, not Tiafimo because he's 140 now, um, Lomachenko, whatever. Not, I didn't really think either of them would, would fight the top guys. I thought they'd fight each other. I thought that would be the first big fight there that they'd have just because of the money opportunity and the attention it would get. And I do think it would move some units. How many? You know, I don't. I don't really know exactly, but like, uh, well, no one knows exactly. But you know what I mean. I, I thought about it a little bit, but I think it would do good numbers. So, you know, how serious are they on making that fight? It, it'll be tough to say. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, because Oscar's at the helm, 
and uh, he's just kind of all over the place. You know, this has nothing to do with his personal life, but when you hear him answer questions from the media, I don't know. It seems like he talks a good game, but we'll see. And, I, and I'm talking about does he want to risk it or whatever. I'm not talking about him. A lot of people, you know, when I talk about people like Oscar, dude, Oscar fought everybody. I w- I'm not disrespecting him as a fighter, okay? So, no, every time I mention Oscar, whether it's good or bad, there's always something, uh, messages of somebody saying something, which I get it. Oscar's a popular guy, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, would it have to be a split pay-per-view between DAZN and Showtime, you know? I mean, I don't think it's that big of a fight to do that. Um, so I don't know. I, it's tough to say, you know? It's tough to say if that fight could be made. It did kind of sound like they were, before the pandemic and even a little after it, right, we did get that little time frame where we thought they were going to go into negotiations. And then the Manny Pacquiao fight, uh, whether that was a real opportunity or not, I understand Ryan Garcia having to, you know, at least check it out and go into negotiations with him. So I get that part. Um, but I don't know. For a while there, it did seem like they were headed down that road. That's what it seemed like to me. But ever since the pandemic, there was just that little time frame where, it seemed like the fight was going to get done. Because remember, it was, uh, you know, Tyson and Ryan Garcia and Tank. And Tank's like, this is going to happen, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, it didn't happen. And like I said, I'm not saying Ryan ducked anybody, you know. But we'll see. I mean, I'm just saying Oscar lately doesn't have a good track record when it comes to that. Just based off the Munguia stuff, you know. He literally stopped that fight from happening. So, and obviously, Munguia, Ryan Garcia, different you know, different fighters, different, you know, uh, levels of popularity or whatever. By the way, um, that place, what was it, 14,000, 15,000? I mean, that was nice to see a crowd like that. And it was one of those crowds that showed up fairly early, too. You know, you're looking at the crowd, and it's pretty full, in, you know, two fights before it, which you always got to love. I remember Canelo fights especially when it was a little bit more priced uh, nicely for the consumer before he got super popular. Um, you know, like uh, I remember there was a Showtime uh, quadruple header, and in the first fight, I think it was Leo Santa Cruz in the first fight, but the place was jam-packed already. You know what I mean? It was pretty much full. And you're talking, they're doing the, you know, the crowd's doing the wave like three fights before Canelo. And especially in Vegas, that you know, usually Vegas is a slow arriving, um, fashionably late type of stuff, you know. So, um, but as far as Golovkin, though, I did want to talk about him. I kind of got sidetracked there. Um, you know, I actually the, the first round was very competitive. I sided with Golovkin uh, on that one. But I actually thought Murata probably won rounds two and round three. Um, you know, Golovkin was using his jab, of course, and a few nice hooks to the body. We definitely saw him dig into the body more than we've seen of late. 
Um, but Murata with his jab and his right hand, and he was also going to the body. Um, I, I thought he may have closed out that second round and maybe stole it a little bit there, you know. But then the head and body, along with, you know, more right hands, it seemed like there was a body shot in that third round that actually bothered Golovkin a little bit. So that's why I gave it to him. I didn't give Murata another round after that, though. Um, the fourth round was very, very close. You know, uh, Murata was busy. Um, but those looping hooks and, like, roundhouse rights, um, that really started paying off for Golovkin. And by the fifth, sixth round, the jab, the aggressiveness, uh, you know, he started throwing in uppercuts as well uh, to the head and body. Anything he threw, he was, well, maybe not the jab, but a lot of things he threw in combination, he was landing both to the body and head. Um, you know, Murata, I'm looking at my notes right now. Murata did actually have um, a decent um, close and just overall in the seventh round, but it just wasn't enough. That jab and roundhouse right, I think it was a roundhouse right that knocked, is that the sixth round, that knocked the mouthpiece out. That's when you kind of knew, I mean, by, not by just that shot, but by the fifth, sixth round, you could really see Golovkin starting to turn it up and just staying with that steady jab that left hook, just starting to really tee off on him now. And uh, even in that eighth round, that was pretty much all Golovkin, like I said, teeing off on him. There was a late right hand by Murata that kind of was like, hey, he's still around. But a big right hand in the ninth round hurt Murata. Golovkin followed it up with his looping right hands and uppercuts. Um, then there was like a, a flurries of left hooks and, you know, um, you know, Murata did, by you know, to his credit, did make like a little mini spurt there. But a hard right hand closed the show, dropped him, spun him, uh, Murata. It spun him, and, and Golovkin, uh, in style, after kind of a rough start, you know, he 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 manhandled it out. He, he got it out. He he doesn't look uh like a prime Golovkin as we know we kind of saw that in the Derbinchenko fight it was hard to see it in the other ones because there were just whitewash types of fight but in this one the first three four I'd say the first four rounds it was like all right dude Golovkin's gonna have to bite down on this one and he did so you gotta give him credit there um you know what are the chances that Golovkin can beat Canelo in the trilogy you know it doesn't Especially at 168, you know, um, he does go up. You know, his, his power is probably not going to be the same at 168 per se. You know, maybe he is. I don't know. Who knows? Um, I think he has fought. Didn't he fight? Did he fight Stevie Rolls above technically 160? I think he fought one of these guys above 160, if I, if I remember correctly. I don't remember early in his career if he did it. Because you know how, like, when you don't have a belt yet, you're starting out, you can you don't have to make the exact weight all the time. Um, but you got to give, you know, Golovkin some credit there because at age 39, or he's about to, yo, he was 40. That's right, he, he turned 40, right? Or 39, he turned 40, I think, before or whatever. So overall, Murata put up a nice stand. The fight kind of played out how I thought it would be. I did think it'd be some two-way good action, and it was a good action fight. But then Golovkin, you know, Golovkin used a little bit of, footwork too, kind of resetting and whatnot, something that we didn't always see um, 
a few years ago when he was just seek and destroy, search and destroy. So uh, credit to Golovkin and Murata. He fought hard. Um, but he got over the hump, and now he awaits Canelo, if Canelo can get through this Bivol fight. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about the chances of Golovkin when it comes to, uh, you know, facing Canelo and whatnot. But right about now, I'm going to go ahead and bring in John, a great boxing mind, to see what he thought of this weekend's fights. We had a lot of action. I am going to breeze by you know, some performances, uh, Michaela Mayer and uh, Jennifer Hahn. Um, that's another fight there that uh, she came out fairly aggressive. I thought she was cutting off the ring. There was plenty of two rounds, like two-way stuff within the round um, through like three or four, but then it became a little bit more one-sided. You could see Hahn was bloodied up and whatnot. I thought Giovino Santiam. Uh, I thought he looked really good, as did the Maloney, the Maloney brothers. Maloney beat uh, uh, Mendoza in that eight-rounder fairly cleanly, right? Um, but, yeah, the Maloney brothers fought as well. But that Giovanni Santian, I think it is, he looked pretty good. I mean, he's in a tough division, but he one-sided this dude. It was a seventh-round TKO after, like, flurries. But after six rounds, he had 184 to 34 punch uh, land advantage i mean that was pretty nasty anyway um so i'm gonna i'm gonna you know try to cover some of these other fights but when you have weekends like this you got to kind of focus on on the big stuff let's bring in john to the fold here what's going on john how you doing hey chris great to be here as always enjoyed listening to uh, some of your recap and uh as far as last weekend goes uh, I was real pleased with the action because, uh, you know, you know, top top billing to Fondora and Lubin, which was a great fight, and I thought the uh, Golovkin Murata fight was excellent as well. And, and in both of those fights, you had uh, all four of those guys combined really, really went for it. I mean, they really went for it. That reminded me of what I think most of us really want to watch in boxing, which is, you know, fight fighters that are really laying it all on the line, really, really going for it. And I think you, you really particularly got it in those two fights. So I was uh, really happy with the way those fights played out in terms of uh, entertainment value for the fans and the sport. And all four guys were definitely a, a credit to the sport in the way they performed. Yeah, no doubt about it. It, it was just a, a fun, fun weekend. Um, let's start with, you know, the fight of the night. Like you said, Golovkin and Murata was a damn good fight, especially the first half of it. Um, but let's start with the one that kind of stole the show, Dora and Lubin. Um, you know, fundora has been fast-tracked. I guess you could say both of them have been fast-tracked. But he got pretty, you know... As far as how we go these days, now, if someone has like a, you know, 385 amateur fights, those guys in the first 10 uh, fights will get fast-tracked, you know, the most out of any fighters usually. But as far as prospect goes, Fundora has been on the fast track. He did have a a draw against Jamonte Clark. Some people kind of looked at that as like, well, this is, I'm starting to see a ceiling. He has improved. 
He has shown he has real power. But that's not to take any way, you know, anything away from Lubin because, you know, he was doing really good at the start, got dropped, got back up, did good again, and then, uh, you know, so good that he he scored a knockdown. Um, what do you think of this fight? Because this thing was just all action, man, back and forth. Yeah, I think this was this was fight of the year to date. Uh, Conlon Wood was exciting and had dramatic finish, but to me. This fight had better two-way action throughout. So as far as I'm concerned, this is the fight of the year for 2022 to date. That's how good it was. So really what it was for me was I had been up, and you you can look at my tweets going back, what I've said on the show. I was one of the big Fundora believers, and then I just got slightly sidetracked by that Garcia fight, and of course, the Harrison-Garcia fight was the lead-in to Lubin Fundora, and seeing the way Handers, uh, Harrison easily handled Garcia, uh, it, it even more so you know, made you think right before the fight started, why the heck didn't Fundora just get this guy out of there? Um, you know, he's, It is actually worth looking back at because he performed so well Saturday night. You know, he said with the Garcia fight he wanted to show he could box, you know, I thought he won the fight easily, but just didn't look like his normal self, wasn't punching with authority, wasn't aggressive. Um, and, you know, Garcia doesn't have a lot of pop. So I, I still don't know if I buy that. I think maybe that was just an off night or something because this this guy we saw against Lubin uh, is the devastating Fundora that I was seeing, even despite the draw with Clark, that, that was – you know, like you said, Chris, he's moving pretty quickly, and Clark's a pretty good boxer. Didn't bother me all that much. Um, liked how he'd been knocking people out. And uh, that was back Saturday night. It was almost like you saw in the first round. It was almost like he wasn't maybe quite as with the, the abandon yet. Like you said, Lubin started off pretty good, and then it was like, Fundora turned it up, landed that vicious uppercut, dropped Lubin. Then you're thinking about Lubin's chin, but I agree with your take. Lubin got up, fought hard, took a lot of big shots after that, and obviously got a tremendous amount of facial damage and was even, as you said, able to bounce back and knock down Fundora with a series of good shots. And then Fundora responded tremendously. And uh, I think the Fundora we saw Saturday night, which I – I have seen that guy before, really in most of his performances. See, he's been that mostly. Just was wondering a little bit with that Garcia fight. And like you said, he had the draw with Clark, who also boxes. But I think we've seen – I've seen this guy enough that I I think that, you know, it's just devastating because this gets back to what I had said before. And we saw this in all its glory Saturday night from Fondora. It's something that I've never seen in all my decades of watching boxing, a guy that big who fights close yet gets leverage on those uppercuts. And, and I said that before. I said that before on the show and tweeted it, and it was back. In other words, you know, just look at the damage he did to poor Lubin. I mean, just the, the, the knockdown was heavy, and then all the facial damage he did to him. He, he just gets that brutal leverage on those uppercuts, and he was throwing some hooks in there. He was getting that 
he's starting to whip that right hook some too. He mixes that in, and the volume is unbelievable. In other words, he he's throwing this power with high volume, and he's such a big guy. You know, there were reports after the fight that Lubin had a separated shoulder, and I'm not going to claim exactly to know how he did it, but I would say an educated guess is, you know, when you're about 5'10", and even though we know Fundora leans in some, still that target's up high. And I think this could, we could even say for anybody who's not serious but just messes around a little with boxing, Chris, you'll know what I'm talking about. You know, if let's say you're 5'10", and you're hitting a heavy bag, and you want to simulate like you're punching somebody Fundora's size and you got to keep reaching up to that target. That's hard. That's hard on, you know, it's not easy to keep throwing shots like that. And right at the end for Lubin, you could see, you know, he was taking so many shots and to just have to keep reaching up and try to throw bombs at this big man and stop him. It's, it's just, it's just too much. So my take on the fight and Lubin performed with tremendous heart you know, he took enough shots after that first knockdown that I don't think he lost the fight because of his chin. You know, that first knockdown was heavy, but he showed a lot of heart, and he took enough big shots afterward. Um, I don't think he lost the fight because of his chin. And, you know, I've kind of criticized that people calling for corner stoppages may be too much. I'm all about safety, but, you know, I've said before, we've got a ringside doctor, we've got a referee. It's supposed to be their job. But with that said, I, I was good with this one, with Kevin Cunningham. I, I just thought it was the right time because you could see that damage on Lubin, and he just couldn't come back with more. Uh, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit, but, but at the very end with Murata, it was kind of you know, like that with Golovkin as well, and he had also given it his all. Um, but but these, these were kind of guys that just really had given it their all, were spent, and, and were, were taking a lot of damage, more so Lubin because that his face was in worse shape than even Murata's. And, uh, you know, Murata had, had suffered a big knockdown at the end, but, uh, but, but Lubin was just was really busted up bad. It looked bad. Uh, you know, you were wondering how much he could even see at that point. So I think it was well stopped by Kevin Cunningham in this particular case. And tremendous performance by Lubin, because even though he got knocked, excuse me, by uh, Fondora, because even though he got knocked down, the way he came back, Sometimes people overrate that when somebody, I think, shows they're vulnerable and they say, oh, well, they came back. But you got to look at the fact of the vulnerability. But I just thought with Fondora there, he took some big shots. Lubin's a pretty good offensive fighter. And the way he came back was impressive. The more I thought about it, the night of the fight after it ended and going into the next day, I'm now comfortable saying, you know, I think that that Fondora we saw Saturday night he matches up well with either of the two top guys in the division, Jermel, Charlo, and Castaño. Um, you know, he, he matches up, I think, well with Jermel Charlo because, well, I think Jermel Charlo probably punches harder than Lubin, and he's definitely got a better chin. Jermel Charlo is not too high on the volume. And, uh, you know, he's maybe an inch taller than Lubin, uh, maybe an inch and a half. He's got he's to reach up. He's not high volume. You know, if he doesn't stop Pandora, he's going to get steamrolled. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying necessarily get stopped, but, I mean, Pandora is just going to be throwing that volume, throwing that volume, the rounds be going by. And I think even as good as Jermel Charlo is, 
uh, it's going to be tough for him with that low volume. And Castaño is a high volume guy, but but he's he's very small height wise for the weight class. You know how how does he punch up and handle Fondora? Um, Fondora leaning on him and and also being a volume guy. You know Castaño could try to you know stay away. But and you know, same Jermel Charlo could pull out, try to jab a little. But you know, it's not like Fundor is this like slow, lumbering guy. You know, you know, he he's what he coming at like one hundred and fifty two point eight or something crazy like that. Saturday night, I mean, you know, it's it's not like he's this like slow, lumbering guy, even though he's six six. It's 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 just it's just a crazy package that he brings, a crazy package. And at this point, I'm not. I'm not going to say he's invincible, but I, I think it goes that far. Where to me, you know, if you had to start looking at those fights, making calls, I think I'm giving him the slight edge now. So well, that's how impressed I was with the version of Fandora we saw back on Saturday night. Yeah, that's uh, that's well said, no doubt about it. I mean, that's what makes this 150 pound division ever since like 2016 so fun because it's not like we're like well who's he gonna fight next well it's really about narrowing it down you know like i mean there's plenty right. of people to fight and one of them is tony harrison now on the undercard what'd you think of him because you and i and a lot of people out there just didn't quite know what was left um with harrison based off time out of the ring and also you know the the very mediocre um you know performance in his last fight but he came out and looked damn good he did chris but i think that it was the key was something that you said last week when we're talking and i think really what what you said ended up being the key you you found the key there you know i had broke down the analysis but i wasn't sure exactly which way it it was going to go with garcia but but you seem to be leaning, and I think you hit it on the head. You know, the the uh, I don't, it's not even probably arguable. Um, the worst guy, the worst guy Harrison lost in was by knockout was Willie Nelson late when he gassed, um, and you know Harrison and Willie Nelson, not as big as Fondora, but he's unusually tall for 154 pounds, and uh, you know pretty good fighter. But but that was like the worst guy Harrison lost to, and and, he, and even with the Perella draw, I mean I think Perella's better all around than Willie Nelson. So what, what I'm getting to is, you know I think that there definitely was that pattern with Harrison that, unfortunately for him, whenever he fought a better fighter, you know he he went down. He didn't do enough to win. Now people say, what are you talking about, Jermel Charlo? I mean, people can disagree with me, but in the first Jermel Charlo fight, I thought that was a robbery. I mean, I just, I just didn't think Harrison did that much. Charlo didn't either, but uh, I thought it was a robbery, and we saw what happened in the second fight. Excellent fight, but Harrison got knocked out. And, you know, he also got knocked out by Hurd. He got knocked out by Willie Nelson, draw Perella. The pattern was there that whenever he fought a better fighter, it didn't go well. But you, I think, had the key last week when I, when I posed that question and you were kind of leaning that, you know, maybe, maybe Garcia doesn't fall into that class. And that's what I would say was the question was, you know, if Garcia, he's a little better than, you know, he, he's, he's with the upper level of what Harrison's fought, it doesn't go well for Harrison. But if he's not, 
if he's just a guy a little below that, you know, Harrison has always looked good against those kind of guys and knocked out some of them. You know, that's where he had some power. Now, the power didn't come back, but even though Garcia tried, um, Harrison dominated the fight. And, and you look what Garcia brought. I mean, he comes forward. The defense isn't there. And he doesn't even have, have pop. Uh, skill level is not all that great. No amateur pedigree. I think you hit, hit the nail on the head last week. That it turned out, you know, Sergio Garcia was not in the class of, you know, even Willie Nelson or Bryant Perella, and he certainly wasn't in the class of Jarrett Hurd, you know, Jermel Charlo. It probably was even a, a bit below Willie Nelson uh, in terms of what difficulty he brings. So that those are the kind of guys that Tony Harrison looks good against and his skills show off. Um, it, it was a good performance. I was impressed with the performance by Harrison because he still got the job done. He boxed very well. Um, I liked the performance. I think he, I'll go as far as he revived his career, but I think Garcia definitely was a level below. Now the odds makers did have him a favorite going in and, and I did drop a little bit on Harrison. You and I talked about that plus 200. That one felt good. So, uh, uh, once you saw that fight start played out, that felt like a steal. We know it doesn't always work that way, but it did on that one. Uh, only slight criticism for me of Harrison. Uh, his boxing was excellent in that fight. Uh, slipped well, countered perfectly, showed how you dominate a fight, even if maybe you're throwing less punches, which he could totally dominate the fight. I'm with you. I had him winning about every round. Only little criticism there. Again, because as you pointed out, very competitive division, um, where the guys are all fighting each other, which is great. I would have liked to have seen that Tony Harrison on the way up a little bit against a guy like Garcia, who he's dominating, you know, where he stood still a little bit and, and you know, got some leverage on that right hand and tried to put some hurt on him. Um, that never did come in the fight. And even though he, no doubt he dominated it, I had him winning about every round. I would have liked to have seen that. Uh, before the end because he was really dominating Garcia. But credit to Harrison uh, because, hey, kind of career on the line, not even really kind of, uh, and he pulled it off. You know, he, the, the, the career is revived in a division that the guys are fighting each other, and that ups the fans' interest. And it's what we need in boxing where, you know, as I've seen tweeted and I agree, this comes up once in a while, and, and, it, and it is a good point. A lot of what got bad in boxing you know, over the, the more recent decades was fights happening like in a vacuum. In other words, they just kind of happen and they don't lead to anything. You know what I mean? Like when we see Perella fighting Salgado and then Harrison's fighting, you know, and beating Garcia and then you got Lubin Fondora, you know, these, these fights and then Zoo fighting, against Gaucher right before that. I mean, I mean then, then some of these guys, like you pointed out before, and other people pointed out, like, hey, now Harrison Zoo, and I do like to fight better than I did uh, when they were talking about it earlier. I mean, it's still not my favorite matchup, but it's more interesting now, and that's what you want. In other words, it seems like a more logical result now after you just saw these recent fights. So, um, you know, that's all, uh, that's all what we need, and boxing that's the kind of stuff that's good for boxing yeah no doubt about it. any other uh thoughts on that car before we get to golovkin and murata 
Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the Perella-Salgado fight's worth watching, uh, worth commenting on, even though it was maybe not quite as entertaining as we'd hoped. Um, pointed out with that one, and I think that's why the, the way that Roy Jones has him fighting, you know, Perella doesn't have the best chin. But even though you could say that some of these fighters he's fighting are a bit better and maybe you're not seeing the power, I don't know, but, you know, sometimes you just have seen a lot of guys, and this is what's good about PBC, is that we've been going on since 2015, and a lot of these guys now we know. You know, we've seen a lot, and, and it is because of PBC. Like, in other words, I've seen Brian Perella fight a lot of times, like going back to or very early in his career, going back to when he was undefeated. And I think his power is real, and you're not seeing it in these recent fights where – and he did it even before Jones, some, you know. I think – Jones refined his boxing in actually in a good way, but, but even before he was with Roy Jones, you know, Perella, he, he wants to back off and box. And, and a lot of times I think he's even more vulnerable because it, and it takes away his power. And I think Abner Mares was pointing that out some during the, um, broad, the Showtime broadcast. And it's a good point. He, he was, you know, that he was talking about um, Perella's left, but, you know, Perella, you're not seeing it lately, but if if you look at his whole career, you look at how hard he hits with that right hook when he comes forward, and and he's just not doing that. And I think for him to really in this division that's real competitive and to and PBC like it or not, one one thing that for I think a lot of these fighters who want to keep going is good about PBC is like I mean Al Heyman's going to give you a shot. You know what I mean? You're not you're not abandoned. So like in other words. Perella had a draw with Salgado, you know, Al Heyman's not going to forget about, him. you know, he's not, he's not going to not use him. He's not going to not put him on TV. So there will be, that's the thing when you're with Al Heyman, I think, you know, you're, you're going to get another chance. So what I'm saying, when Al Heyman gives Perella his next shot, uh, he's got to bang some, you know, if he's worried about his chin and he wants to box fine, but he's got to bang some. Now Salgado, I think he's a guy who didn't look overly impressive, but just looking at what he brought, I got a feeling he is a guy that's going to be pretty good in the right style matchup. And it looks to me like what he likes to do is probably counter people that brawl with him. And uh, he looks to me like he might be pretty good at that. So I think what I saw with him even though I thought Perella did win the fight and uh, Salgado was fortunate to get a draw, I did see some, and, and he didn't throw as much as he should, but I saw some things there that I think he might be, I think he might still uh, make make a bit of a mark in terms of working his way up when he gets the right style matchup. He he needs somebody, it looks to me like, who's going to brawl with him a little bit, and, and he looks like he knows how to counter with a little bit of pop, and uh, I think he might be pretty good in that type of fight, but Perella was being cautious, boxing him, you know, keeping him at the end of the jab, and and he just he just didn't have enough volume. He he's not willing to put enough pressure on uh, to be able to deal with that type of us. But I, I overall, you know, a very a very entertaining card overall with what I think fight of the year so far. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and then Golovkin and Murata, I didn't see this one live because I didn't. I. Uh, I work a lot of nights, so I'm not, you know, I try to get as much sleep as I can, and so I didn't get up, but I also didn't know about it, 
I made sure that I hadn't seen it. So I did kind of see it live for me. Um, but what did you think about this? Yeah, that's my, that, 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 is my, that, that is my, just so you know, Chris, that is my test too. I, for, when it comes to analyzing fights, I find that does matter. I don't know what it is about our brain, but if you see the fight and you don't know what happened, to me it, it kind of matters in your your analysis. But I, I, there's something True. about watching fights when you know what happened that I just don't, I just don't find them valuable for your own building up analysis. I'm not saying don't watch it or anything, but like there's something about watching a fight when you know what happened. And I don't know, even when you see the guys doing stuff, it just, it, it, it doesn't take the same. So I think that is real important That's true. that you're able to do that. And uh, I, I, on this one, I had to juggle my schedule just a hair. I was, I was supposed to run something and the weather was bad. And uh, I had to meet a client early with, had a had a busy week coming up this week, which is now going on. Where we one time had to do something on the weekend, but getting back to the the point being that that meeting was a little bit after, right when the fight was going to end. So I said, I'm I'm and I'm not going to run to miss the fight. So uh, uh, it was like five k. So I said, I'm going to uh, I'm going to catch this live. I'm really glad I did. So I got up and uh, set myself up for it. Worked out pretty well. It was strange because they were saying the fight because this this can't throw you off guard though. They were saying the fight was going to start at about eight ten in the morning Eastern time U.S. And normally, as we all know in boxing, when they say something like eight ten, that starts at eight thirty or something like that. Well, on this one, there it is at seven fifty five Eastern starting. In other words, luckily, luckily I had it on already, but I was like, man, I, 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 almost, I almost missed this thing starting. But um, then the fight itself, even though it didn't end up going his way, I thought Murata fought it exactly like he should have fought it, uh, which was, you know, make, you know, Golo- I mean, he had no problem hitting Golovkin with the right hand, which I always say that, you know, there, there are even among some writers, there there are some just Golovkin fanboy types out there that I think as good as the guy is, um, and even if he goes down as great, uh, looking back, you know, they, they, they kind of, I think, put some attributes on him that aren't necessarily there, like, like defensive master. And, yeah, he throws the jab, but I think it's more like you and I talked last week. I I wasn't quite seeing it like, his jab meant that much in this fight. You know, when, when he jabs a lot, yeah, he has a hard jab sometimes, but it's, it's not like every jab he's throwing is punishing. Sometimes he's flicking it, you know, that when he fights in a different way. I mean, really, you know, his success in his career has been, he has a great all around offense with power in both hands, a lot of power and he takes a tremendous shot. He's never been down in his career as a pro, and it's been reported that he's never been down as an amateur. So, you know, he's got a great chin. So with Murata banging him, you know, he, he can be hit. So I, I thought the, the play would be, look, the guy turned 40 the day before the fight. As great as his chin has been, Murata is, was coming off two really impressive blowouts against lesser opposition, you know, he'd been off over two years, which obviously hurt him. Um, but, you know, Murata, good offensive fighter. I think the power is real, and I think it was even real against Golovkin. I, I, I think, you know, he was you know he was putting some hurt on Golovkin. 
So I, I thought Murata did what he should have, but, you know, Murata's 36 years old. He's not a young guy. So I, I didn't quite buy the take that, well, Golovkin got some rust off and then he came on. I mean, you know, Murata had, had, had not fought as recently as Golovkin had, and, and he's only four years right. younger. So, so I thought, you know, I thought I, I want to give a shout out to Chris Algieri. I, I thought he did a great job analyzing that fight. It was the best I've ever heard him. And frankly, what I, one of the many things I liked about Chris Algieri in that analysis was because to me, you don't hear this much. I didn't think he was buying into the stereotypes about Golovkin. In other words, you know, I think he was, I thought he had it analyzed correctly. You know, he was talking about, you know, you look at that there is the Vianchenko fight and, you know, it was a little clue that Golovkin could be hurt to the body and he was getting stung to the body. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I mean, all he definitely was rounds, I mean, multiple he, times. He, he was, he was he was puffing and he was slowed up. I mean that that wasn't just rust. I mean this to me was a war. I mean, uh, and I'm going to give Golovkin a lot of credit, but I mean to me, it, it was and I give him a, I give him a lot of credit ultimately because to me, yeah, he's he just turned forty, but the guy he was fighting was thirty six. So like, I I I, I mean to, like if if it, if it makes sense, I mean I think Murata was old enough and had been off long enough that, to, to me, this just was Golovkin, what he does well. In other words, you know, he, he gets hit. He gets a lot, hit a lot more than his fans. And going back all through his career, you know, he gets hit a lot more than his fans want to acknowledge, especially with the right hand. And he was getting hit with the right hand. I mean, repeatedly and hard, right from the opening bell. Yeah. I mean, Murata was not afraid. He went right after him. Then – this is something I didn't necessarily see earlier, and some people could say age, but who knows? It might have been something that hadn't been tested because, like I've said, and, and I'll say again because I, I don't think it's an exaggeration at all. I mean, the, the best three guys, you know, Golovkin faced were, were probably, you know, you know Canelo, in two fights, Jacobs and Derry Vianchenko. And those were tough fights. Those were all tough fights for Golovkin. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they talk about these guys and, well, his prime must have been with such and such, but he, he wasn't. And, and, you know, we can debate. That's not the debate for tonight as to why it didn't happen. But that that was not quality, particular quality opposition. You know what I mean? They can say, well, you know, this guy was ranked at this time. You know, even right. with transnational or the ring, you got 17 divisions, which I think is too many. And then when you've got you know, 154 and a 168, you know, we, we know there were times at the traditional middleweight division, 160 pounds, before you know Canelo got there. That there there definitely was not murderers row fighting there. Right. And uh, it was light. You, you like know, after Pavlik, right. And up until that, it was pretty light. Exactly. When you had you know, Pavlik and Martinez kind of go away. I mean, I mean, that was, that was light. Now Golovkin's better than all those guys, but you know, because he was knocking out Curtis Stevens and Martin Murray and Macklin and these kind of guys, I mean, you know, that, that to me, that's, that's not that impressive of, a, of an argument for him. The guys, like, again, like I said, Canelo in two fights, Jacobs, Derevyanchenko, 
they're better than those guys. And I'll tell you what, even though he came as a pro late, he does have an amateur pedigree, though. Um, yeah, he had uh, you know the, the stumble against Brandt and Undom, but he avenged those. I mean, you know, Murata might come in next after those guys. I mean, even though Golovkin's fighting him when he just turned 40 yet. I mean, I think you can make that argument. You know, I mean, I, I, I'd take, mm-hmm. I'd take, I'd take Murata theoretically over guys like Martin Murray and Macklin. You know, you know Dominic Wade. I mean, you're the guys. You're the guys we're talking about. I mean, you know, I, I mean, Kasim Uma. I mean, you know, I think I mean Murata's got you know he's got some pop. He's got good size for the weight. So. Golovkin is older, but he's fighting guys that are better than he was fighting earlier in his career as well. So, um, and, and I think you saw that again. But but what what to Golovkin's credit, I think his real his true strengths came out again, which is you know he takes him. I always keep saying him and Canelo are one A and one B with the best chin in boxing. You can pick either. Neither right. have been down. Yes. They fought each other 24 rounds and banged away, and neither went down against each other. So you kind of you kind of can't pick. I mean, it's just like as of now, those those are the two best chins in boxing, and they're both great chins. And then you know Golovkin, I've never power because one thing I talked about those guys being lesser opposition, but one thing that I think was for real about Golovkin that if you look at pro boxing, I think he knocked out 19 straight. And even in the guys, the guys that he did right. knock out, like Derry Vyanchenko, he dropped. He dropped Jacobs. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he stopped everybody. And then the guys he didn't stop, he was dropping, except for Canelo. So, I mean, that, yeah. that's got, if that doesn't tell some people about Canelo's chin, I don't know what will. Yeah, exactly. You got yeah. a guy. You got a guy that basically stopped. And, and dropped everybody else he fought, and he, For a long he did not stretch. drop Canelo. Yeah, in 24 rounds, so um, that's that's impressive for Golovkin's power, though, too. So, um, so Golovkin to me, he's a guy with about tremendous offensive power in both hands, and and just a great chin. Uh, what he did show in this fight too was some was some fortitude. Um, not there was no reason to doubt that he had it, but he showed it in this one because he was hurting. He he was getting hit to the body. He was getting hurt to the body. He was taking a lot of right hands from a puncher. I mean, he, he had a rough he, he start. Like he was. He really some, did. He looked like he was in some distress. Now, for me, even a little more than than you were saying, Chris, and I've seen others, but this is the way I saw the fight. I mean, I I I saw. You know, Golovkin turned it on like a house of fire in the seventh round, and that was tremendous fortitude. I just think it was like – I saw it more as like – it was just like a war of attrition. And, you know, Golovkin yeah. just outgritted him around the seventh round. And I don't think it was a scrape from the rust off or anything. I think this was just a war of attrition. And Golovkin took a lot of punishment. Murata was taking a lot of punishment. And in the end, with that chin – and the power that he has, because you know Murata hits hard, you know Golovkin hits harder with two hands. I mean, you know he he he's got a two-handed attack, and Murata's not coming at you with much pop besides that right hand, even though the right hand's got a lot of pop. Um, and you know that that was then then the difference was that when Golovkin because then I'm with everybody else. I mean, when Golovkin turned it on and 
you know, I thought just in the seventh, he really, and, and I think Algieri was analyzing it the same way. That's the way I saw it. I mean, he just really turned it in the, on in the seventh. And, you know, it was kind of like Murata and Lubin to me. They were somewhere, even though it didn't end exactly the same way. But I saw that with both of them. Like, then they got to a point where they just, it had, both fights had been a war, and they just got to a point where they couldn't respond anymore. You know, it, it was just the other guy had, had just pulled better through that crucible in both of those fights. And it wasn't because they weren't trying either. I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, just total, the punishment, the exhaustion, you know, Lubin and Murata both reached a point where they just they just really couldn't respond at the end of those fights. And they both, you know, ended around the same time. And, and, and you know, just two great fights. But that but that's the way I saw it. So now it, it may be a little funny the way I'm, I'm saying it, but I think because those attributes to me are so strong, I'm actually in the camp. I've always been okay with a Golovkin-Canelo uh, 3. And I'm not saying by any means I'm picking Golovkin, but actually I think he's got a better chance than most people are making out here because he's 40 years old. But to me, one, the 168 means nothing. It might even help Golovkin at this point because he was 165 in the amateurs. He's 40 years old. I don't really right. see how he particularly benefits to have to make 160 at this point. And he won't against Canelo. And Canelo even started we got to we got to be fair to Canelo and remember a lot of people don't I mean Canelo started at a much lower weight than Golovkin in the pros so he's really the guy that was at a lower weight and Golovkin's a little bit taller so I, I don't I don't see the, the 168 thing I mean that's a meaningless jump it's an alphabet created division that's to me is meaningless in the analysis it, if anything not having to make 160 pounds at age 40 might help Golovkin a little bit so I don't think that matters Age, of course, does matter. But, you know, even Canelo's getting in his 30s now. I'm not saying Golovkin won't be a little slower. He's 40. He has been in some wars now. But I just think that at his age, when you've got a guy that's got a chin like that and he's bringing that power, that, that's going to be dangerous to me for Canelo the whole time, even if Golovkin's 40 years old. And, um, you, know, you know, even though Canelo's got a great chin, I mean, when – with the power of Golovkin, I don't think you can go in and just say, oh, you know, I, I don't got to worry about this guy. He hasn't dropped me, you know, in 24 rounds, and now he's 40. No, I, I think he's still bringing too much power, uh, and he's got the chin. So, you, you know, will he, would he be able to, you know, throw enough to get a decision? Maybe not, but, you know, as good as Canelo's chin is, Again, Golovkin brings enough power. It, it's just—it's not impossible to me, even at this stage, that Golovkin could land something if, if those guys are really in a, an action-type fight where they're where they're both landing. So, uh, I, I I would watch it. I think people were being disingenuous when they say they won't. So, uh, yeah. I'm not saying I'm picking Golovkin, but I don't know. It, it just seems to me like. You know, you know, some of even Golovkin's own fans, you know, they, they don't want to take the disappointment of the blues to Canelo if they're going to fight again and he's got chance, you know, kind of lowering the expectations. I think, I think a bit too much. I, I think it's getting ridiculous. I'm not saying I'm picking Golovkin, but uh, I, I think, I think he has a shot. I, I think even at this stage, he, he's got a shot. I'm not saying I, I won't Canelo to win, might even pick him by stoppage, but I, I think Golovkin's got more of a shot than 
a lot of people are uh, giving him if, if they have that third fight coming up this year. Yeah, I mean, it's – I mean, I guess you could look at it from the mentality of kind of what you said about Canelo, like, Maybe he thought in the second fight, well, I went at him in the second fight. I took the fight to him. So if he did that earlier, could he get caught, catch with something that changed the fight around and changed his whole strategy? And then he's on the move more like he was in, in, in the first fight. Um, that, could, that could play into it. Although, you know, is Canelo going to make that mistake at this point in his career? It could happen, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think he'll respect, you know, Golovkin regardless based off like what you said about those 24 rounds, I just can't, like, I don't know. I've been a boxing fan long enough to not get mad at a trilogy happening off of two great fights. You know, it's like a lot of people, I don't want to see, I don't, yeah, come September, whenever, 15th or whatever it's going to be this year, people are going to be, you'll at least be streaming it. You know, (laughs) I mean, you're going to pay attention to it. I I agree. A lot of people are just, I don't want, that's, that's going to suck. And this, I don't want to see that. That's just washed. And to me, it does kind of feel like Golovkin's fans making excuses a little bit on that. And, you know, it's basically like, I guess the fight with Jacobs, he's been washed since then, like to some people, you know, it's like, if you weren't, like, I understand in training camp, after a while, you add up the years, it does wear you down as a fighter, and, and your body just slows down, and your reactions and all that, but my biggest thing with Golovkin, uh, well, not even, the fans are fans, I always say that, fans are going to be fans, but there's a chunk of media members that put him on this pedestal, and then attacked Cotto, an old Cotto, a one-legged or one-kneed, one-healthy knee Sergio Martinez. Like, my thing is, okay, so why aren't you after Golovkin now these last few years? Because if you're going to disrespect Cotto and Martinez, remember, Martinez fought Cotto. That's a bigger minute fight. Cotto fight Canelo. He literally fought Canelo instead of Golovkin. And literally, some media members, and some of them were more part-time media members, but hey, some of them have Hall of Fame votes, too. So, to me, I always had an issue with, well, hold on, dude. So, you're going to disrespect these old guys that are just not, not necessarily just cashing in against Canelo, because Cotto and Canelo was, a, was an interest. it was a competitive fight. It wasn't 7-5 to five or anything like that, or could have been a draw, nothing like that. But it's not like Cotto went in there and laid down, either, so... My whole thing is there was so dis- out of fandom for Golovkin, and there's a variety of reasons why that is, some of them for very ignorant reasons, and now they're just giving him a pass. Well, I'm cool with giving him a pass because I know he signed with big money to DAZN, and he thought, and DAZN thought too, that that Canelo fight was coming. So I, I understood it. But my problem is, why are you so reluctant to, to go after Golovkin now, then, when you, you were shitting on Martinez and Cotto back then, just because you're like, oh, he doesn't want it, he doesn't, you know, Cotto just wants a money fight. Well, that's what Golovkin's doing all this while. And, and I'm not trying to say, oh, Golovkin should fight Charlo. What the hell? He's had a couple of shots, two shots, legitimate offers to do it. But I get it. He was trying to, you know, he's trying to go for that last fight. So that's been my biggest thing is like, he went, you know, they added on those vacant or interim titles to his defense 
They tried to put him in the same sentence as Hagler and Hopkins before, you know, he even fought Danny Jacobs. And that's what my problem was. Um, but, I, I mean, if he – most people think he won the first fight against Canelo. That's good enough right there to be in the Hall of Fame in my mind. Because I first ballot Hall of Fame all the way, Canelo, if he beat him, even though on paper it's a draw, if he beat him, most people thought he beat him. You know, Golovkin's in the Hall of Fame. I think he's a hell of a fighter. I just thought, I just didn't see this level of, oh, wow, okay, so where are you putting it? Should, doesn't he have to earn it? You know, ducked him back in the day when he was old. Doesn't mean, like, this guy, is, I don't know. It, that always was an issue that I had. Uh, but I would never I, take I that have, on, I, on, the, on the fighter, you know. I still have that issue with him, though. I mean, it, it's that, look, I'm, I'm into boxing you know, history, I'm into boxing today, I, you know, I'm into both, and, but it's not a reach at all, I mean, I don't like how writers, I always say should know better, because they should, and and I'm talking about the same guys you are, Chris, I mean, and, and I was seeing it again this week, I mean, anybody who knows a little bit about boxing, history, and, and, and you can dispute this stuff, but I mean, you can't dispute that this is the facts of, of boxing history, but you can dispute the meaning, but Golovkin, there is not one boxing historian who recognizes Gennady Golovkin as lineal champion. He's never been the champ of the ring. And we know there's plenty of people at the ring that love him. I mean, so it's like, to their credit, at least they have held to the proper policy. In other words, he's never been the ring middleweight champion. He's never been transnationals middleweight champion. This is not a conspiracy against Golovkin. This is what happened. I mean, look, I love to use this example because it's the right example. Marvin Hagler had a controversial draw with Vito Antifermo. He had been called the uncrowned middleweight champ before that, a guy that nobody wanted to fight. He had a controversial draw with Antifermo, who was the champ. Okay? Hagler had to come back after... He had he had to wait after Minter then had beaten Antifermo. He went over, you know, to, to London and fought Alan Minter in his home country, and he blasted him out and got hit with bottles, you know, after blasting him out. The point is, I mean, Marvin Hagler had been going on for years as the guy that nobody wanted to fight, had a controversial draw in his first shot. And he went back and won the title by knockout. You know, now when Golovkin fought Canelo in that second fight, he did he didn't get it done. You know, so he lost the fight. So in the first fight, he fought for the lineal title. He'd been screaming for the shot forever. He got it. It was a draw. Look, you're allowed to win fights by knockout. You know what I mean? You're allowed to score knockdowns. He didn't do it against Canelo in either fight. So I, I think. You know, and then, then you see people who should know better. They don't want to accept that. Hey, hey, maybe you know that, that's like life sometimes too. You know, Golovkin maybe had a tough break here and there because he didn't get a fight, and then he got a draw in the first fight, and he lost the second one close. That that you just give him a, you just give him championship recognition, and you say he had all these defenses. I mean, it doesn't work that way. I mean, you don't you don't give it to him. He's got to. He's still got. He's still got to earn it. I mean, that's that's the way it is. That's boxing. We have the concept of, at least the concept of one 
champion in the division, um, or, or the way it should be. I mean, that's, that's of course what it, what it should be. So, you know, I, I and he didn't have to that, leave middleweight either, which I didn't think he had to. But people kept saying, well, he shouldn't have to leave middleweight. Well, Canelo's at 155. He's not at middleweight 160 just yet. So Canelo has to come up to fight him. But he even though him and his team said they could go to 54, then they changed it. We'll only go to 54 for Floyd. You know, and they also said they go to 68. They never even sniffed 68. They're just about to now um, as far as the top-level fight. We know the Frotch. There was some talks with Frotch. The Ward never really, you know, my, that's my point, though. It's like, oh, so Canelo has to rush up and fight your guy as a media, your guy, but he doesn't have to move anywhere. No, I don't think he had to move anywhere. And, I, and in some ways, I'm glad he didn't. He was able to get the fight. And he also waited to make sure the right – you know, he could have went up and fought Frotch or, or Golovkin, or I mean uh, uh, Ward, you know, or like yeah, I said, go back and go know, down to 55. But he didn't, and, and I'm okay back with that. Him. I'm not calling him a chicken, but – why the hell? So Canelo has to come up, but it just that it, it always was a a clear bias, and it just like all, it all turned on Canelo, and it's like, well, hold on, dude. There's some things you can sit there and pick apart, and obviously the failed, you know, uh, substance and all that. That there's other things outside the ring or whatever, but it, it it never added up to like, dude, this is clear fandom, like, and it and it's, but yet. You know, others get destroyed on Twitter for being a fan, and that's just a fan, you know. But media members will destroy fans saying stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to to, to try to count, and 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 I've seen multiple well-known media members do this again in the last week, and I've seen them do it before, but they were doing it again this week to say it's arguable that you you, you can count. Golovkin's WBA regular title defenses. First of all, don't get me wrong; he's never been the lineal champ. But now, so now we're talking about now we're talking alphabet stuff. But but right. even when you're talking alphabet stuff, for media members to say, no, it's perfectly arguable to count those WBA regular title defense. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, right. and then and then they say he was elevated to champ. I mean, how? How in the concept of boxing we're, we're going back to, of course, the national. So he got emailed. He got emailed, right? Right. He that's got what emailed. Where, 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 where was like, it ever hey, that you right? don't have to win? Right. Where was it ever that you don't have to win the title in the ring? You don't get elevated to champion. You, you win championships in the ring, period. There's, there is no other way. So th- those those are – I mean, I, I just think I, – I do literally think media – People embarrass themselves when they when they make those arguments. Uh, any boxing historian that is not sucking up to some people or Golovkin would just say, you know, that's absurd. I mean, you know, you know that's absurd to talk about those being counted as as some kind of record title defenses. I mean, it's, the, the, I mean, the real record is still, you know, Monzone, Hagler, you know, one one champ, you know, one right. champ of division, and especially then where. There was no 168, and nobody was caring about 154 yet. So, I mean, it, which makes it even more so. I mean, and then you only had one champ in middleweight. In other words, it, you know, to me, this is like saying he was he was the caliber fighter of Golovkin, and you know, 
Golovkin's never be st- been stopped. But but to me, this actually is like what these guys are doing today. Like like it's it's like me saying, well, you know, Mustafa Ham show. You know, there was only one champ of division when he fought, and it was Marvin Hagler, and he had to try to go through him twice, and he got stopped twice. That's not really fair. So I, I'm going to say Mustafa Hampshire was really a middleweight, <laughs> you know, middleweight champion right. too, because that seems it's like unfair. that seems like unfair that there was only one title and he had to go through Marvin Hagler to try to get it, and he he couldn't pull it off twice. Like so, he should be a champ. You know, that that to me, you know, you know, like. It's almost it's, it's it's in a funny way though. Like it's to me, it's like analogous to Gol- to Golovkin. What we're talking about, like in other words, if you want to say, and I'm not going to even argue with this. If you just want to say, you know, Golovkin was a great fighter, but yeah, he never did really truly win the middleweight title. You know, you, you would say an argument, a credible argument. Like I, I think he really was the the best middleweight sure. for a long period of time, but, but he never did win the lineal title. I mean. He never was ring champ or, uh, you know, transnational. It didn't go his way. That that means an honest argument. But, mm-hmm. you know, make the honest argument. Don't start saying he's got 26 middleweight title defenses. It's, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Yeah. I mean, how could Murata and, – and you got these same media members saying this is what it's all about, a title unification. How could Murata right. be anybody's champ after not having fought for over two years? Right. Well, then, like you said, we but said that we, last we, week we too. It's like they just they pick and choose which one they're right. gonna, you know, say that's bullshit and say, man, this is huge. You know, well, which one is it? It's not like Murata has a line of great wins either. If we're being honest, doesn't right. mean no, I'm not judging him as a fighter, but what's his best win? I mean, that that you know, so that's at least when you have like a belt, you probably should have been stripped of. You're just a way better fighter. Uh, than who you'd be fighting anyway, and you're like one of the top guys, and it's like, all right, that's cool. He 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 beat this person, that person, so who cares about the belts? Well, that's fair. That's a fair argument. Who cares? Ultimately, right. who gives a shit about these belts anyway? But it's not like he has like two or three names where you go, oh wow, yeah, okay, well then that that's undisputed for me. That's fine, you know. Right. Exactly. No, no, Murata doesn't have any great. You know, he doesn't have any great wins on his record. So he he fought tough, but. And he's got some major yeah, pedigree, but he's 36 you know, years old. Yeah. He, he'd been off. He has no great wins. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and then, so what we we didn't touch on, I guess, was the, just real briefly, the um, Garcia and Tag, Garcia and Tago. Yep. This is a rare instance where I did feel like you couldn't really take much out of it. I just thought Tago was just there to survive, period. So, um, you know, should Garcia have probably been able to hunt him down? Yeah, probably. I agree with you. He probably should have jabbed a little more, but he did hurt him on a few occasions. The guy was just in the survive. Yeah. It, it's so bad. I mean, you know, Garcia won every round. That to me, that was just yeah. like a wash. I, I can't. I'm not going to give Garcia any real props for it, but I'm not going to take anything away from him either on that one. It's just kind of a kind of a wash, and and I, I don't want to run from it because I, I still don't think. And there was some debate about this. I don't think it's that Shane Mosley Jr. improved or anything like that. I mean, to me, that was just kind of dreadful in terms of what both those guys brought to the table. We always do kind of agree on this, Chris. Like, we we say it because you kind of have to let the fighter decide about making a living. But with that part understood, I mean, I think the message was – all written all over the wall there for Gabe Rosado. Mm-hmm. It, it's time to it's time to hang him up. 
I think that's all that was about. The guy had been a lot of tough fights, wrong side of 35. Uh, you know, I don't know what he is going to do, but that should, I think you can say from the outside uh, that that hopefully will be it for him. I, I think that's all that was about. I mean, he 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 brought nothing. He brought nothing to the table Saturday night. Yeah, he landed like somewhat early a flush right hand, and that that was about it. He was getting countered from uppercuts. <laughs> right. I mean, he got buckled. I think in like the eighth round by a big right hand. Somehow, one of the scorecards had it ninety five, ninety five. But yeah, I agree. Now, not taking any credit away from Mosley Jr. He's doing what he's got to do. He came to the sport late. But, yeah, Rosado, after that performance, you either need to take a bunch of time off or just just hang him up. Um, that Esparza-Fujiaka uh, fight, um, competitive fight, really close competitive fight. Somehow, some way, though, two scorecards had it 100 to 90. One of the other cards had a 97-93, which is a lot more closer. I thought as far as a 1-6-4, maybe 7-3 or something like that. But uh, two 190s was like, okay, what the hell is that shit about? That was bad. The crowd, I, I mentioned that earlier, the crowd definitely was bumping. Um, and, and they showed up early. So that just really shows you where uh, Ryan Garcia was. Any other uh, items? Uh you know that the the feet, the, the women's fight on uh, the main event uh, with Mare and Han or Han. Um, any other items you want to talk about before we get into the Spence Ugas stuff? Yeah, I just say I just say I'm not ignoring it, but because of the volume of action, and I and and I had a busy week otherwise. Right. I, I I didn't. The top ranked card is pretty much what I missed. I I didn't get to really sure. catch up on it. Um, you know, I, I did see just some little bits of the, you know, Michaela Mayer fight. And, and you know, I, I think she's for real. I think she's real good. And, you know, I, I still have my opinion on her where I think she is good enough to where I think if there were three-minute rounds, I think she's one of the, the women fighters that would be getting more KOs. Um, but, you know, she doesn't have that. And, you know, this was another fight she dominated. You know, she's at 130. Some of these other – uh, women's lightweights that we're getting to know more. Like, you know, you have Serrano and Taylor fighting and a big fight coming up. Um, I don't think the five pounds, especially with Michaela Mayer's height, means that much. I, I think she's, I think she is legitimately reaching a point where, um, you know, we should keep talking about fights like that. if They can cross, cross over and make them because, I mean, I think mm-hmm. she makes interesting matchups with those people at the, this point, and that might be the level of opposition. You know, you know, she needs to keep keep advance keep advancing her career. So um, let's hope maybe some of those fights can happen in the future. Um, but yeah, I didn't really get to check out the Maloneys. I mean, of course they are, you know, contenders in the you know contenders in the lower weight divisions, more towards the bottom half, but they are there. And uh, Santillian is you'd mentioned he's still undefeated, but I I just didn't. Uh, because I was trying to keep up with the DAZN card too, which I did, so that the Showtime, and then I did watch the Golovkin card Saturday morning. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't really get to sink deep into the top rank card. Well, and that is one of the things, you know, when it comes to the weekend like that. It's like, man, it is tough to see each an individual uh, fight like we've talked about. Let's get into Spence in Ugas. We'll talk about, like, uh, the Stanonius 
Butayev or Butiev, however you say that. Uh, there are some other interesting fights on that card. Obviously, on the zone, Connor Ben returns. Uh, the co-feature is a rematch. Um, uh, McCarthy against uh, Chris Billiam Smith. He's a favorite, but that could be. I, I think he's going to win the fight this time more cleanly. But that was a competitive fight. It wasn't a great fight, but it was competitive the first time around. Um, and once again, they're kind of doing what the PBC did with Fox of late. We may have not necessarily liked uh, the main event per se on pay-per-view uh, earlier in the year, but the fact that we do have six fights on the card because Showtime is giving a free month. So there's really uh, if someone doesn't have Showtime, well, first of all, you know, boxing-wise, not having Showtime, it's kind of like, all right, that's cool, you know, do you? But I also, it's it's free. You get a month free, and I think there's like a three month deal but either way six fights on the card let's start with Spence Bugas obviously um you know I've heard a lot about people saying um you know this is a close competitive fight I think this is going to be you know Ugas has a a shot here but I don't hear as much X's and O's as I I hear mostly about um you know the 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 mystery that's out there with Spence as far as you know, how's he going to look with another injury uh, or, you know, with a serious injury suffered in August or in July, maybe too, by the time it actually, you know, he heard that pop in sparring, he said recently. Uh, but, you know, he's been out of the ring for so long. Will the eye hold up? So there's a lot of question marks of how close can Spence even be to 100%, even with like, even if it wasn't the eye injury, it was just that long out of the ring. I mean, December 2020 was the last time he fought. So that's a long time ago just off that. Um, I have mentioned it a couple times that I think it's somewhat of a positive note that he did make it through almost a full training camp, and he had been training for a, a large portion of uh, 2021. Um, but... Well, you know, it's still not a fight with eight ounce gloves, which that obviously gets all the rust off and also measures where you're at. But I think people are kind of missing what Ugas does bring uh, to the table. What, what what are you thinking about this matchup? Because uh, it is kind of tough to know where Spence is and how close can he be to the fighter that uh, we once knew. I mean, you know, all things considered, I thought he looked pretty good against Garcia, but it sure wasn't 100%. I didn't expect 100% Spence, but um, I thought he was a a little bit more aggressive than I – I did think he'd be a little less aggressive out the gate against Garcia, and he wasn't. But you can still see he was just a little off. It wasn't the same old thing, and now he's had more time out of the ring and an eye injury. What says you heading into this matchup? Because once again, you're looking at that Ugas as an underdog. I mean, the highest I see it, and this is uh, DraftKings plus 400. I mean, you know, this is it's it's anywhere from plus 300, plus 360. I think the lowest is plus 280. Uh, so it's it's like it's hard not to put a little waiver out there anyway on him a little flyer i should say uh what are, you, what are your thoughts heading into this matchup because U- ugas is crafty 
and is very underrated skill-wise, especially since he uh, took those early losses. And you could argue that he is undefeated. Some people did think he beat Porter. Yeah, but he's on one. Of the, he's been on one of the best runs in boxing. You know, in, in an era where the top guys or, or, or a lot of fighters don't fight the you know quality of opposition they get in the past. I mean that you know run that Ugas has been on, where he just had the close loss to Porter in that run, has, has been a, a a great run, especially for this era. So you have to respect that. And of course, he's capped it with the Pacquiao win. Um, I did pick him for the upset in that one. Uh, so I, I, I like him, and I was willing to pick him against Pacquiao in the upset. He's even a little bit, slightly bigger underdog here. Um, I think it's what you said, though. I, I just think this Ugas is good. He's been on a great run, not underestimating him. But he is getting older now, too. And uh, I, I just think it's a, it's mo- mostly about Spence. Um, you know, he had the bad accident. Um, I was surprised how well he came back against uh you know Danny Garcia I actually thought Danny Garcia fought a little better in that fight uh than he was given credit for but I just thought Spence was was real good brought more than I expected at that point I I had just projected on that one that you know with Spence supposedly being unconscious for so long after that accident he had that you know by definition that would be a head injury and uh you know, he just might not be able to come back from that with the same chin, et cetera, at that point with Danny Garcia. But I think some people had said this, and I think this did end up being the correct take on it. Um, I had reasons for believing what I did, but I think the the right take on it probably ended up being that we're not getting to see this, but behind the scenes, um, you know, Spence's physicians and his team uh, were confident that he'd, he'd been cleared. In other words, to the extent that, uh, he he was recovered enough to box and and wasn't at uh, you know an increased risk for for injury you know brain injury that type of a thing and that and that they you know Spence knows his own doctors and medical uh, diagnoses and things like that and you know you kind of speculate from the outside I think it ended up being that he was good enough at that point okay so and and he showed that in that fight um, you know yet didn't come close to stopping Danny Garcia. But, you know, one thing you can't forget about Danny Garcia looking at the whole career and his level of opposition is, you know, we're talking about some of the best chins in boxing, you know, Canelo and Golovkin are at the top, but, you know, Danny Garcia is right up there as well. So, um, you know, when you, when you look at it and say, oh, he, well, he couldn't stop Garcia or come that close to stopping him, you know, maybe it's just because of what he lost. Uh, you know, Garcia takes a pretty good shot too. So, Overall, I thought that worked out real good for Spence. I was surprised how good he looked. Um, but then, you know, we had the retina injury come come up, and, and you made a good point. Um, as serious as a retina is, that is one thing that has changed over the last uh, 40 years or so. You know, when Sugar Ray Leonard had that and he was able to come back, that was a time where, you know, that, that was more a threat to be a career-ending in, injury. You know, the the, the treatment and the techniques, you know, for, for repair just weren't as good as they are now. You know, I think now that's at a level that as serious of an injury as that is, I think he's probably able to come back from that okay. Um, and so I think it's more the layoff. And then this part I, I can speculate about. It It just make, it always takes me a little bit back to the accident. And, and I think 
based on my experience of having a lot of depositions of doctors over the years, I'm not a doctor, but uh, I think with the way the specialists would term it is, you know, you're, you know, you can't really say whether that retina tear, you know, was just from obviously all the boxing Spence did and, and in sparring or, you know, was that maybe weak, you know, that could have been weakened from being in the accident. In other words, could be a little bit more susceptible. Um, but you don't know that there's no way anybody could say that. So, um, and, and even I'm guessing that, you know, even, even when in sparring for Pacquiao, when it got to a point for him where he knew something was wrong, he had to get the treatment, you know, you know, you don't, you don't know if that area was, was thinning before that and, and just things like that. Cause he is a boxer, you get hit in the head. So, um, so yeah, it's just we. The point being, it leaves question marks, and and even now, I thought Spence looked good against Garcia, but now the retina bigger layoff. I'd say in this day and age, that should be able to re- repair that retina where he's okay with that, but got layoff fighting a good, a skilled guy in Ugas. Um, still, those questions there about Spence at this point. There has to be some. Um, he was one of my. You know, favorite guys in the sport. I, I just in terms of liking his uh, abilities and what he brought as a fighter. So it is a shame, but he's still undefeated. He's still in there. He did, he did pick up the Danny Garcia win after the accident. Um, like to see him be. Even though I like Ugas, I'd like to see Spence be able to make it back. Um, I'm going to think he's got too much offense for Ugas. That's kind of my take on the fight, and I see him. Uh, you know, I see him winning a decision. Uh, that basis, I think Ugas is very skilled, but he's not that big of a puncher. He's getting older, and uh, one thing, even punch stats bear this out. Where this is where the punch stats can be useful. I mean, you know, Errol Spence, you know, he, he hits hard, and he's a high volume guy for the weight class. Even though he's skilled and he hits hard, that's one of the reasons he's so good. And you, he's also very, very high up there for percentage landed and. Uh, landing to the body so that you know that's that's a lot of attributes to that he brings to the table positively now of course he's had the accident the retina tear and the layoff but i just think he's got so many attributes like that that even if like you said about the is he 100 percent, even if he's a little below 100 ugas is a tough out but i would say that if spence is at least close to 100 which i'm going to think on this one he will be uh, that kind of mistake I made when he fought Danny Garcia, this is different, but uh, I don't think I'm going to make that mistake on it again. He, he proved he's back enough. I think they can repair the retina. So I, I think he'll have too much uh, offense for Ugas and should win a decision. Um, what do you think about Stanonius and Butiev or Butayev? Uh, and then you could talk about any other fights uh, while we wrap this up. A great, great matchup. I was thinking about that one a lot today because um, I'm going to go with Stanionis. Uh He's a very slight underdog, but um, I think he's the overall more skilled fighter. Um, but what's really exciting about this fight is, even though I think you know, Stanionis is more skilled, um, he he's an aggressive guy who who has some pop, but but not a lot of pop. He's not a huge puncher. He's probably at best an okay puncher. I wouldn't say he's feather fisted, but he's not quite on that low level, but he's definitely not a puncher. Um, and he's got some skills, but he always moves forward. He doesn't back off at all. And, you know, Butayev, 
you know, where he really, he made his mark against James by far the best performance of his career. And, you know, Jamal James, as you, you're familiar with him, Chris, the Minnesota guy, tough fighter. Uh, you know, that was a real good fight, but you know, where Butayev really shined in that fight was banging with power to the body. Um, and, you know, Stanionis is going to be right there for him. So I think that, this is just going to be a war. It's just got to be a war the way I see it, because I just see Butayev, you know, as Stanionis is coming in, just trying to bang that body with power. But I think, you know, Stanionis, you know, Stanionis, he's got that punch variety, uh, better variety of punches to me, not quite as good of a puncher as Butayev, but a, but a much better variety but I think he's going to be getting hit because he's aggressive and he, he comes in and I think he's going to be taking a lot of shots, but I think his volume is better than Butayev. And I think he'll be able to withstand the body attack and, and be hitting Butayev to the head and the body. And he'll be the, he'll be, they'll, they'll both be there, but I think he'll be even more aggressive and, I think he, I think he probably wins a decision in an absolute war in this fight. So I, I'm, Stanion is a very slight underdog. I'm going with him. Uh, I think it'll be a distance fight, but just an absolute war. So uh, everybody talking about this being a good fight. It's just about even money, uh, according to the odds makers. And I think it's going to be a war. So you don't want to miss it. And Showtime's doing the right thing in the sense that. Uh, they're putting it on a regular showtime before the pay-per-view card. And like you said, free trial is my understanding this weekend. So chance for anybody to watch that fight, and you're going to want to catch that. Just man- mentioned Brandon Lee, one of my favorite prospects, is on the undercard. He's officially 140 pounds, but he's big for the weight. Got tremendous power uh, with with all the money guys in the welterweight division. I've been saying this for a while. Keep saying it. He's got a good showcase spot uh, right below Butayev and Stanionis Saturday night. I I think he eventually ends up in that welterweight mix. Um, And he's got a lot of power. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And then just Crowley and Josecito Lopez is interesting. Crowley coming coming off a very shocking, good upset performance of Abdukakarov, where he actually heard him. He's not a puncher, but he heard Abdukakarov. Just a great performance by Crowley. Uh, I think Crowley riding high coming off of that um, probably should have a little too much volume. And, and even boxing skill, Crowley does have some boxing skill. So uh-huh. I think he gets a decision over Lopez. I think Gamboa at age 40 is made to order for Isak Cruz because uh, I like Cruz like everybody else is starting to seem to like him, you know, very good performance against Cervante Davis. But where that fits for Isak Cruz is, you know, when he's, he's, he's short, he's like five, four short for a lightweight. But when he fights somebody who's not that tall, he's devastating. And, but when he's had to fight taller guys, he still gets to the win, but he's got to punch up. You, you can see he can't get as much on his punches when he's got to work coming in against taller guys, even if they're not as good as him. Uh, that he's kind of got to work for a decision there. Uh, I think Gamboa coming up from featherweight at age 40. Gamboa's not that tall. I think he's 5'5". Five, five. Uh, he's going to be right there in Isaac Cruz's punching angle. So uh, I think this one uh, has potential highlight reel knockout written all over it. 
for Isaac Cruz. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking out the time. It was kind of a, a long segment today. So uh, enjoy the fights, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, Chris. Thanks for having me always. I appreciate it. Enjoy the fights, and I'll talk to you next week. All right. Take it easy. Take care. Yep. All right. Like I said, as far as we're going to bring in Carcino here um, in just a second here, you know, like I said, Ugas-wise, you know, what he can do, you know, a lot of people, well, first of all, the Ugas-Porter fight was very close, as we know. If you had it a draw, that's cool. I would have been fine with the draw. I did think both fighters left something on the table. I think Porter moved a lot more. Like, if you look at Porter in the Danny Garcia fight, I thought he blended the aggressiveness and the the outside movement probably the best in his career on that one. Whereas I think he was moving too much with with Ugas, right? Um, But Ugas has a come-forward fighter having to chase you down. Like, once you're on the inside with Ugas, he can go to the body majorly, and he's got fast hands and stuff. Um, but he's not necessarily going to like a high, a top level guy anyway, is going to cut the ring off on you and really go offensive that way. Um, it feels like he's got to kind of be in range or whatever to do that or already on the inside. So I thought, you know, coming forward is not necessarily a strength point against a top level guy like Porter. Uh, but I, I understand that people thought that, you know, that Ugas won. So you can't really look at just his beginning fights. You know, he had a, 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 a dust-up with um, with the Lorme. I think he got dropped in that fight, if I remember correctly. But Ugas, you know, he's a very good body puncher, and he can, he'll throw combinations quickly, and it's not just shoe shine. Um, he jabs very well. He jabs to the body. Like I said, overall, he's a good body puncher. But he has these subtle... By the way, 90 seconds left of the live stream. If you're listening to the browser, dial 646-381-4990. If you're on Block Talk, listen to the browser. Once again, 646-381-4990. you got a, a little over a minute to get in. But back to what um, Ugas, the crafty Ugas brings, these subtle movements, um, the angles, the step aside. He's always finding range he's always moving not moving moving like your prototypical stereotypical i guess you could say too cuban fighter not on the move all the time but he's usually you know at range or kind of closer to the inside but he's using angles and he's very accurate he's efficient with his punching he's not going to throw a bunch besides maybe those body um you know like little flurries he throws um, and he's got great timing. You know, he can counter the jab. Like, he's got pretty good defense, but the ability to counter a jab, the timing, the accuracy when he does throw, obviously activity from Spence in that jab as well. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes Ugas to counter that jab. Will Spence be a little bit worried about that and not throwing it over, you know, over the top or, or just – double, triple jabs, you know, and, and Spence does have a really good jab where he blends it. You know, he goes to the body, goes to the head. Um, sometimes it's authoritative and it's, it's right there. Other times it's setting up, you know, a lot of different um, stuff there. 
So I think it's going to be an interesting fight. I don't see Ugas on the move uh, constantly. If anything, he'd be pivoting and circling and, like I said, you taking a step to the side and going to the body type stuff. I, I think, you know, it won't take long for this to get going. But I, I see this as a two-way fight for quite some time. I just wanted to give a little bit more detail on Ugas as well and what he brings into the, you know, to the fold. I mean, sure, Pacquiao didn't look as good as he did against Thurman. He had been out of the ring for two years. It's not like, oh, he was spent and way past it and all that. It was just, you know, when you're out of the ring for two years, that's, that's a long time. And that's where you look at Spence, even if the eye's okay. Let's say the eye's okay, which we won't know he starts getting hit um you know it's still another 15 right around 15 months out of the ring and you're 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 facing a guy that you know has great timing you know it's 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 going to be interesting fight man i'm really looking forward to this and like i said i've said it well since i've seen the the odds that you know you should put a flyer out on that on that underdog money. It's not even two to one. It's more like three to four to one. So maybe you can make a personal bet. You know, in this scenario, making a personal bet, if you believe that Spence is going to win, cool. Um, Instead of having to, because he's a, you know, he's a clean favorite, you know, so you do got to put more money to make money on him, like favorites do, especially in boxing. Um, because sometimes it could be such a clear favorite, on, on, you know, on paper, um, which I do think this will be more competitive, except especially like the first eight rounds. Um, but if you can make, you know, uh, personal bets, you really don't. Let's just say like everybody has a different budget. Let's just throw 50 bucks out there. If you do $50 on a three or four to one, it's not risking all that much because you're going to have to risk a little bit more money with Spence if you're actually going to bet it anyway right to make some money so if you can find i always give advice of if you can find straight up personal bets on this one and then put some money on ugas you know you'd probably be in good shape either way Uh, but anyway i want to go ahead and bring in carcino to the fold and get his take on this um all right let's bring in what's going on carcino how are we doing, oh, yeah. sir? And what do you think about my Timberwolves last night? They won. They won the whole championship last night. It sure felt like that <laughs> because uh, that was like the second time we've been in the playoffs since Garnett left. You know, so basically since, well, even before that, 2004 was the last time when they made it to the conference final with Spring selling all that. But uh, that was a hell of a victory last night, especially with cat and ball problems. Oh, yeah. I think the wild victory was more impressive, but yeah, this this here was expected for me. I thought they were going to beat the Clippers, but the fact that they were down in the fourth and had to come back, that showed a lot. Without Cap, yeah. Yeah, because when Cap found out, everybody thought the game was over, because in the first half, people Mm -hmm. thought like, Man, they're cheating the, <laughs> the people. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys had everything. You guys had a protest. You, you guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Y'all, we protest y'all everything up everything. here. It doesn't yeah, matter oh what my, it is. We're going to protest up here. Oh, my, my goodness. Somebody tried to use <laughs> Elmer's glue 
to glue themselves <laughs> yeah, to <right>. the floor. <laughs> That's still there, too, on the floor, dude. It's, it's literally not going to go anywhere, probably. They're probably going to have to use some sort of weird chemical on it or whatever. But I saw a picture of it today. It's still there. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> That's so gonna be that's the mark, and then now, but she got what she wanted. She got the attention. Exactly. Everybody talking about Glenn Taylor, and he should have gassed the chickens instead of burning them. I'm like, well, they right. got the bird flu. What do you expect him to do? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so we can start with the entertaining weekend that was, especially the Lubin Fundora and the Golovkin Murata. Those stood out as far as action fights we can start there and get your take on that before we dump into uh spence ugas yeah uh, the lubin fight man I, I did like my first boxing post fight in a long time off that fight uh that was incredible because that was a fight i felt lubin had in the bag even when he got knocked down he was still kind of controlling the fight so i think like he was taking too many shots because he was staying he was waiting too much but he was landing the more telling shots, and I was like, man, he's winning the early round. But the attrition of the fight was starting to change. I don't – did they ever declare what was broken on him? Uh, I guess he bro- – I heard he broke his nose, and then he messed up his shoulder. I, I think I heard – don't quote me on this, but I think it was a separated shoulder. I think that's what happened, too. Okay. Because – He got roughed up. But to your point, he was – he did win more rounds on the scorecard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was completely winning the fight as he was going, uh, but I understood the stoppage, but I could see the turn in the action. And, like, the fifth or sixth round, uh, uh, Fandora was, like, really stepping it up. And to me, he looked like he's way big. He looked like he was almost, like, 200 pounds almost in that ring. I'm like, yeah, are they sure that they weighed these guys? <laughs> Again, because I'm like, my goodness, it didn't look like he was doing that much damage. But he was actually hitting him with some hard shots. And just like, it seemed like a lot of weight on the punches. Then, but his chin is like so in the air and he's like really green. And I'm like, my goodness, this guy's going to get his head taken off. You know, if somebody set this up right, you know, this guy's going to get his head taken off. As soon as I said it in the seventh round, he got caught. I said, oh, see, now he got caught. He's got some adversity now. And I was like, let's see if he uh, get let off the hook. And he didn't. He got he got caught again and just with straight will, he basically took a knee to try to get his head back together because he was just rocked. So he was trying to get his, you know, nerves back together. But what saved him is that it was close to the bell. So when it came out for the next round, it was like surgery work. You know, he was just, it was like Lubin gave it his all in that seventh round. In the eighth round, he was trying to just sum it up in spots, but he was just getting dominated by the activity, the work, and his ability to smother. He uses his size to his advantage. He's not going to let you get off. If he throws a shot or whatever, he throws his punches and smother your offense, something Bernard Hopkins was good at when he was fighting his mother, your entire offense is like, you're going to have an off night because you're not going to have a rhythm. Cause I'm just going to smother you all night. And that's kind of like how Fandora was doing it. He'll throw his shot that he wants to throw and then kind of smother your work. So 
Lubin didn't know how to adjust to that, and then that fight was basically going to be over. And he was getting the, the rougher end of it because his eyes were swelling up. He looked unrecognizable. You know, he looked like one of those PJ characters that used to come on TV that Eddie Murphy used to voice, the PJ. <laughs> he was looking like, his face was looking like one of those characters. And I was like, man, they got to look like that. What was that movie back when we were kids, Mask or whatever? What, what was that movie? Oh, with yeah, the... with Rocky Dennis. Yeah, the Rocky I kinda, Dennis story. He, he was getting close to that all of a sudden. Yeah, he definitely was. And when Kevin Cunningham said, that's it, that's enough. That was the right call. And somebody one of, in the Lubin corner who was rooting for Lubin had on a Lubin shirt, throws a bucket of ice. That's right. A yep. cup of ice. At, yep. And, um, yeah, and um, Kevin Cunningham. Kevin, yep. Yeah, Cunningham is from St. Louis. So he was about yeah, to go yeah, right yeah. in the <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, totally, dude. <laughs> he was ready to go. Yeah, he was ready to go. He was going to go right out of that ring and grab that guy and bring him back in. And, I mean, good job by Fandora, but I think he's really not ready for the upper echelon at that division. He's going to really get himself hurt. Um, he's probably going to have to, you know, he needs some more fights, you know, before yeah. they start you know, bringing him up because he's really green. It makes a lot of mistakes that can get him really, uh, like, hurt, like, knocked out. So, um, but I don't think Lubin's career is over. Somebody said he should, should retire. I think that was Robinson. Uh, he looked good in yeah. his fight. And they talking about putting those two in the ring. Tony Harrison and uh, Fandora. Oh, yeah. Fandora, yeah. Yeah. But I'm just like, okay, it'll be a chess match. But Tony can get caught. But that's a good fight for him, either way. I think so, too. Because we know yeah, the first Tony can counter robbery. his ass off, too. You know? I mean, that, that first fight counter. was a robbery, Chris. That, that, that oh, yeah, draw I, was I, Oh, yeah, my God. TBC at his finest. <laughs> Completely robbed. Yeah, definitely should have been drawn. I agree with that. Yeah, I'm like, this guy clearly won this fight. What are they talking about, a draw? I was right yeah, with him. Yeah, the Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. man, this is PBC at his final. They knew they robbed that guy. The other guy, he wasn't even in the stratosphere getting a draw. But, no, yeah, yeah, let's talk about Triple G. Yeah, let's talk about Triple G's fight because he made his return Saturday and earlier in the day, and we watched that fight against uh, Royoto Maruta, and he was definitely game. And the thing about him is he just doesn't have the power to keep Triple G off of. And that was the only difference in this fight. He was hitting him from angles and was in there. And once again, at 40 years of age, I think the shell's been cracked on Triple G. And, you know, he can't take those body shots at all. Like if, if, and this is not even a body puncher. Mayorta caught him with a body shot, and I thought he was going to just fold all the way over. And the early rounds, he was taking them and, but it's just the attrition. He cannot. It seems keep like he up. gets hit, hurt to the body more than he does to his chin. You know. Yeah, because the body it don't go anywhere. 
Plus, he's never been a guy that was physically. He always was a guy that's like excessively big, drinks, belly would get all fat. That's why I used to call him Triple Cheese. I was like, that's Triple Cheese. <laughs> and here he comes. He's gonna, but he's all, you know, getting in shape and all that. He's not a six-pack guy. He's a guy that burns it off when um, it's time for a fight. But he's not somebody that's, like, keeping his body tuned 24-7. So if you go to his body, it breaks him down. That's how Canelo was able to hurt him uh, a lot with those body shots. Canelo's body shots was getting an effect in Triple G, especially in the second fight. Second fight, it was more telling because he knew, like, man, I didn't really have to move around a lot with this guy. I can stand right in front of him. I'm burning wasted energy. I can just stand right in front of Triple G and beat him. He's right. really that slow. And I can just make him miss. And my my reflexes is good. So in the second fight, I'm like, this is going to be even better for Canelo because he's going to save the energy because he's not going to have to move as much. So all the early rounds are going to go to Canelo easy. So he just got to learn how to tie up, but he has so much ego involved in it. Like, no, Mexican style. You said toe-to-toe. You don't grab. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you grab that man, hold that man, tie him up. You already got the fight won because basically the first five rounds is yours. So hey, you can just trade either other round. That's how Roy Jones used to basically calculate his victory. He would go out and try to win the first three or four rounds, then try to win every other round <laughs> to ensure a decision if it goes that way. And if he's losing a round or something, he wants his corner to tell him, hey, you kind of lost that round. Okay, well, I'll go get this. So this, <laughs> this is how his strategy was in the corner of just basically scoring fights in his own mind as he's moving forward with the fight. That's his game plan. So Roy's game plan was never the to try to really get you out of there. It was just about winning rounds. But with Triple G, um, when he got a stoppage, and I think it was like round nine or something, they stopped it because there was no way, uh, you know, Ryoto could continue. The fans clapped, and they applauded Ryoto's performance, you know, in Japan because they have a sense of respect that he went out fighting. You know, he went out on his right. shield. And it's just so much of a culture difference when you see how they are, like people are respected where they live to to where they are now. You know, it's like, man, where we live today, we sit there and make fun of or make me. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, we shame Every the chance. fighter that fall hard. You know, I'm like, man, this guy yep. fall hard. He gave it his all. He just lost. <laughs> You know, he just yep. didn't win the fight. You know, it's like, hey, he'll, he can fight another day. It's not like I wouldn't want to see him again. Like, he just stunk up the place. You know, it's some fighters like that. I can see you booing them. <laughs> they just coming in like, I'm right, a hug. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. Right. But and you're right, though. Saying, they always yeah, talk about the O. Oh, guys are protecting their O. But then, you know, it's really no big deal when they lose until they lose and they get roasted on Twitter. You know, it's like, oh. I thought you said it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then after the, you know, that performance, you know, that was that. That was just the end of it. Now going into this, you're at they're at the, at, I'm not mistaken, they're at the AT and T Stadium, right? The Cowboy Stadium. This is where the fight's going to yep, be with yep, Ugas. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ugas and Spencer Ugas is there, so Spencer's at home. Fighting on pay-per-view, 
fighting Uga, who is a, the first time Errol Spence is fighting a true welterweight since Sean Porter, and the fact that he's finally fighting this guy who is actually the guy he should have been fighting all along. When he fought Sean Porter, he really should have been fighting Ugas. When he fought Danny Garcia, he should have been fighting Ugas. Now he's finally fighting Ugas because he has no choice. Manny Pacquiao, who he tried to avoid again and fight the Pacquiao fight to get the money, he got hurt, and in came Ugas. And he's like, well, hopefully Manny beats him. That didn't happen. Now, Ugas is the one that retired Pacquiao. Ugas is finally getting what he should have gotten when he was robbed against Sean Porter. Now, here's why you can bet on Ugas. He's a live dog. Ugas is going to fight you. You're not going to be able to back him off. If you think you can back him off with your power, guess again. It's not going to happen. He will attack your body. Unlike a lot of Cuban fighters, he is a body puncher. That is the most underrated thing about him that people seem to forget about Ugas, and they, they underestimate his In body combination, puncher. too. Yeah. Good combination. He is a body puncher. The only flaw that he has is that he keeps his chin too far up in the air. And I've said that plenty of times about him. I'm like, he's got to learn how to move his – he keeps his head right up. His eyes are open, but he don't duck his chin at all. I'm like, somebody's going to take his chin off one day. But he is a That's big a one – he's a big 147. And this is the only time Arrow has fought a big 147 since he fought John Porter. Kell Brook was the other one. But Kell right, at yep. that time was coming from 160, sweating down to 147 after an orbital bone fracture. So this is entirely different. He was damaged goods going into that fight. But Sean Porter, well, they thought this is tailor-made for you. It's a phone booth fight. You don't have to chase him down, Arrow. This is perfect for you. Who guys, unlike Sean Porter, can fight at angle. And you saw it in the Porter fight. He won the Porter fight. Uh, he dropped Sean Porter in that fight, and they called it a slip. That was completely a knockdown and should have been scored as that. And from that point on, I knew Sean Porter was done. Now, Porter, and what I meant done, I mean done beating guys like that. You can't beat big guys his size. You just can't do it. Now, what I saw is that he's going to always be in contention. He's always going to be in the fight. But that's, that will was broken that way. He fought a different style because he had to. He felt Ugas' jab early on in that fight and realized, like, man, because he tried to beat Deshaun Porter at first. Then he wanted to go box at angle and try to box Ugas, which really was working against him because that wasn't his style or brand of fighting. I don't know what he was doing. So it was just, it was the craziest strategy of all time from his corner, but I realized that he was, he gave Ugas a lot of respect in that fight. And he was able to use some of his thing to rough up Ugas and a lot of rounds. You know, the thing about Ugas is he is the older fighter. 
He does have that age factor on him. But True. you're gonna have to be willing to you're gonna have to be willing to come take it. And Arrow showed me in the Danny Garcia fight, after like seven or eight rounds, he took a headbutt from Danny Garcia and he was never the same in that fight. He lost like five rounds, four well, at least four rounds in a row. He was lucky for him. The fight was already, you know, basically decided. But Danny's a small welterweight. If you have that shutdown in the middle of this fight, like, there's some people in the boxing world was like, man, I want to bet on Ugas. Because they remember what Arrow was going through preparing for Pacquiao. And they were like, I don't know if he beats Pacquiao. <laughs> From what we're seeing here, you know, he was getting, you know, kind of handled by his sparring partner. And this is why he went to a nutritionist, because he blamed the nutritionist for the reason why he looked so flat against Danny Garcia. Ugas is not the kind of guy you want to run out of steam on. He's not that guy you want to do that. He has a sneaky right hand over the top that comes out of the high guard. It looks like it's like puts up his high guard as a disguise, and then he'll pop out with a right hook that you don't see because he'll throw it around your guard. And the way Arrow stands, Arrow won't see the right hook. He's a softball. So that right hook is going to come right over his shoulder and clip him on the side of the head. He'll pop right out of it, and he used it against Manny Pacquiao, and he led with as a lead, because against a southpaw, it's, it's, it works like a charm. Manny had never fought a Cuban. They call it the Cuban right, the way he loops it around. But it's just a, really a right-hand lead. But it's a right-hand lead with a hook. It comes like a hook. It, he starts off with the punch in front of his face, like he's protecting him like a guard, and he just pops out with speed and makes a hook out of him. And he gets around and keeps clipping him. Now, you can make an adjustment to it, but if you're not familiar, you'll just keep getting hit by that. And it's frustrating. And Pacquiao was getting hit with it at will. He had no answer for it because he's never trained against a Cuban fighter, even as an amateur. They avoided those type of fights because they wanted to keep Manny Pacquiao winning, and those are tough fights for him. They're skilled at boxing and fighting at angles. Now, Arrow, the thing about him that protects him a lot is Arrow has a very wide stance. And that very wide stance will kind of keep the fighters away from your body. And it helps you control the distance. And you can use your jab to kind of matador and keep a guy at bay. But Ugas is good at smothering you, coming in your wheelhouse, and being physical with you. You're not going to out-physical Ugas, he's a big 154. He's not a power puncher, but his punches hurt. They get there. They do some damage. And with with Arrow coming off his eye injury, Arrow is not shown to be really slick and don't get hit. He's not an invasive fighter like Floyd. It's like everybody likes to think. He's more of a, I'm going to take it and come back with my own and come back and take it and come back and keep dig into the body and break you down with my style. And I feel like this is going to be a back-and-forth fight, but it won't be a fair fight. Uh, it won't be judged fairly. Um, Arrow will win by a majority decision. 
and that will be the end of it. PBC, he would have to literally hit Errol Spence and knock him out with a pipe and unconscious, and he might get the win. It's, there is no way. Well, to be fair, though, that's an A-side game. thing. That's a, that's not just PBC. That's A-side. When you sell tickets, you have the advantage there. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, advantage, but if you're in Texas, this is the Texas guy. This is the event. He's not going to get his right. hand raised. So I'm just letting people know who bet. Ugas, to me, I would definitely put money behind, but not when he's fighting in Texas. Jerry Jones Stadium, no way. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to bet against that. And if I'm going to the cards, it's already been decided. They already know where they're going, and Ugas is going to get rocked. It's like he doesn't speak English. No, he can't do it. And that, he would have to knock Arrow out in order to, to uh, win that fight. I see a majority decision for Errol Spence, even though the fight will indicate that Ugas won the fight. I do think Ugas so, will win and get robbed. So what do you, what's your guess as far as your own? You know how, like, I always look at it like my scorecard or our scorecard watching my it scorecard will, have it. My will look like that have no it. matter what. You know? my, yeah, my scorecard will have it. It will be seven rounds to five. For Ugas. For Ugas. Okay. Might yeah. be even 8-4. But I got I got Arrow winning some of the early rounds, like the round. It's, I think they'll go round for round. Then after round five, I see Ugas taking over the fight from round five all the way to 12. And it's, it won't even be close after that. And they're still going to give it to Arrow. Arrow's activity will slow down, and he will not be as active as people think. He'll be more defensive and trying to hold and throw on one big power shot and little tip-tap jabs, but he's going to be able to do that with a real welterweight in front of him, a real big welterweight, just like himself. And then you're going to start to see people ask those questions about Obud Crawford. <laughs> That's going to change again. You know, it's already linked over to Bud's favor now, but you're going to see it change even more after this Ugas fight because Ugas is going to get robbed, and that's that. I can't see it happening no other way. Harold has not shown me he's back 100%. Mentally, he's talking about PTSD. He's talking about still having it when he's in a car and riding. I've been in serious car accidents. I know exactly what he's talking about. When he was talking about seeing the car crash, I'm like, yep, I had that. Right. Every time Boxing's I close my eyes, it's like. sports that you want to have any kind of hesitation in, you know? It's like team sports can cover up stuff, but boxing always has a way of unveiling it right there in the ring. No matter what, who wins or whatever, you kind of like, oh, wow, yeah, he's affected. You know, we should know somewhat, you know, we'll know in this fight if, uh, you know, just just having 15 months on, I don't ex- 15 months out of the ring, I don't expect him to uh, be 100% anyway. But Uh-oh. yeah, boxing has a way to really, you know, expose stuff. If you're having issues, you're going to see it in that ring, nine, you know, 99 times out of 100. You know, especially when you're yeah, facing a top level guy. Q thinks Harold's going to win by knockout. 
And I'm like, Arrow cannot knock out Mikey Garcia. <laughs> when Mikey Garcia was hurt, a guy at 135, he can't knock him out. And that's what showed me right there. I said, oh, my God, he doesn't know how to um, do it. And uh, and this is where a lot of people were getting caught up with his knockout that he was having early on and his stoppages. Sure. And I said, there, when you knock someone out in the ring, you normally said it. I'm like, this is why the difference between him and Terrence Crawford. i like, Terrence Crawford would have got Mikey Garcia stopped. There's a progression in how you set it up. You're not just going out there to land a lucky punch, you know, a, a punch to get them hurt, and you just attrition, knock a guy out. There's people who do it that way. That's Arrow, and then people who know how when a person is hurt, how to get them out of it. Arrow didn't know how to do it. He had my well, same with hurt. And Crawford will get hit sometimes too much, you think, but it's he's lining it up. You know, it's like he's baiting it in a sense. And all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. okay, wow, that's up. different, you know? And then when he got you hurt, he knows how to get you out. Just to him, that there's more tricks sure. in the bag. Yeah, he, he, he'll yeah. throw a lot of different things at you until he finds something that really works. And then he'll go yeah. back to it. And when he sees there's an opportunity, and he knows how to finish you. And that's why they say this guy knows how to finish a fight. Ray Leonard knew how to finish a fight. You know, the guys who had you hurt, they normally knew how to get you out of there. And, like, okay, if you hurt, this is what I'm coming with because I know this, you won't see it coming. It ought to set up the shot. Arrow don't seem to have a plan in doing that. And I watched that, and that's why I said, man, he didn't even know how to get Mikey out of there. I was like, Mikey survived basically because Arrow just, like, I'm just going to keep throwing punches until, like, one of them land and, and get you out of there. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is. He really don't know how to do it. And I'm like, that was it. Now he's going to punch himself out and get tired. And he did. And then Mikey was able to survive. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. He just tried to use brute force to just get him out of there. I was like, he doesn't know how to finish. And I, I saw it right there. And I told my buddy, he was like, man, what you talking about? Errol destroyed him in there. I was like, I'm like you missed everything that just happened right there. That, a lot was revealed in that round. He can't finish. He don't know how. Like, he's not going to stop you. Well, I don't know about that he doesn't know how or he can't, but in that fight he, he didn't. That's the bottom line. He can't, and he did it in every other fight. Ever since. He didn't stop no one. Said, he can't do it. And I, I went back, and I said, I got to go back and watch some fights. He can't do it, Chris. He can't. He doesn't know After how. that fight, you're saying, because he sure yeah, broke down fight, people prior to that. I'm saying. Sean Porter fight, um, when Porter got up from the knockdown, when he knocked Porter down, he didn't know, yep. he didn't know how to do it. He didn't know how to do it then. The same thing that went on with the uh, Danny Garcia fight, didn't know how to stop Danny at all. I didn't think I he really had him close to being stopped, Danny. I never saw with Danny Danny's like got a hell of a no, chin. Danny hurt. Danny was hurt, and his will was about to break. And because he was basically in, like, the power was taking the difference. You know, Danny felt the power difference and the size difference. And but Danny's a 145. And, you know, he's yeah. feeling the power difference in this fight. And the fact that he's feeling defeated. Like, and he's trying to keep his spirits up in the corner, but he's getting ready to break. And this is where a, a, a fighter that knows how to stop someone, they know how to close in on these moments. They know how to take advantage. 
and rip that guy apart, Chris. And that's why they see that. They wait for that moment where the fighters get ready to break. And I, so you would be I very impressed that. if he stopped Yeah, doing I, told, I talked to uh, Bud's people, you know, because me and Red are really cool. I talked to Bud's people. They saw it right away. He said, oh, did you talk about the Mike Garcia fight? He's like, they told me to go back and watch the third fight. And they said, go back and watch that fight. Watch this round. That's how long they've been watching Errol Spence. I was like, they went back to a, a fight, not just him getting rocked. It was a fight he dominated. And they said, watch this Right, round. right. This guy here, now watch what he's doing. Look at his feet. He don't know what he's doing. He said, he don't even know how to get this guy out of here. Look how this guy is just surviving and getting out of it. He don't know how to cut off the ring. He can't even cut off the ring properly. Look at that. And I'm like, wow. Now, they're watching it going back to those fights, and they, that's how long they've been watching Errol. And I was like, wow. They like, we know what we would do to him if we ever got in the ring. And he was like, his people know it too, and that's why they don't want it to happen. They're hoping somebody beats Bud or hurt Bud and Bud gets beat so bad that they can finally put Errol in the ring with it because Errol is too flat-footed to mess with Terrence. Terrence can get out and beat him at angles, switch it up and confuse him all night long, and then we're frustrated. How bad? He's definitely got more pass to victory. Even before the accident, he's always Bud's always had more uh, pass to victories, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's like Arrow is good in his element, but he fights. He gets he gets off his square a lot, and he fights southpaws and he switches up to conventional. Because he's out of position. He'll throw a shot and he puts all his weight on the shot and gets himself out of position. And his footwork is not that great. And he'll and he'll try to follow it up with another punch because he's off balance and go back to the softball stand. He'll switch it up and only because he's off balance. And he knows the quickest thing to get a punch to you is to throw the punch that's right there. So they'll be like, oh, he switched to softball, now he switched to conventional. Uh, and I'm like, no, he's doing that because he's off balance. But if somebody was smart, when Danny Garcia saw that, he was countering him. And Danny was catching him good. Danny just didn't have the power to hurt him because he's a smaller guy. But Danny caught him a couple of times when he was in mid-switch. He saw it. So I said, Danny Garcia saw it and, in, and was trying to capitalize on it. And he caught him a couple of times when he got late to fight. But he didn't get his confidence and groove back until Errol got hurt off the headbutt. And then after that, he was able to get some momentum and get some confidence back into the fight. But it was mostly Errol being hurt from the headbutt. And it was like his conditioning, he blamed his conditioning, and that's why he went back to his nutrition, nutritionist and said, okay, I'm going to go back to my nutritionist so I can get back on point. But I don't see Errol beating Ugas in a just a straight up boxing fight, it would be very impressive for for him to get a win on. He Ugas. stopped him. Oh, all he right. So him, yeah, don't... He, got, he has all my respect. If, if Errol can stop Ugas, he has my utmost respect. I mean, I like him as a fighter, you know, but you know, I just see him as a good fighter. I don't see him as how everyone else sees him. This is before that. I didn't see him as that. I see him better than good, but I know what you're saying. We are running a little low on time, so 
So I do want to get to something else real quick. So okay. Tank in the Mayweather promotion contract is, uh, you know, supposedly up um, after this fight. What are your, what, what are you, are you hearing anything from the camp? A lot of people, you know, we've heard a bunch of different speculations. Oh, Tank's going to go to whoever throws the money at him. He's going to go to the zone to fight him. He's going to go to ESPN. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. I mean, I think people are kind of missing the fact that, well, he could just not have a promoter and just stay with Al, and that would be, you know, he could just pay a fee to a promoter like other fighters do, like Spence. Um, but what, what, are your, what have you heard? What are your, what's your gut telling you on what Tank will do? Because, you know, there's all sorts of rumors, spread, uh, you know, swirling about who he's going to, quote, unquote, sign with. Well, well, I don't know too much about that. Everybody was talking about Floyd's uh, charity fight that he's doing, um, you know, his exhibition rather than Dubai. Which we, I think I told everybody here before that was coming. Um, Nate's been in Dubai for about three, four months training those young fighters. And I was like, Dubai is going to be the hub. It's going to be a hub for boxing for a long time. It's going to be the new hub because they have nothing but fights. They have nothing but money. And they're whittling to put it up there. The people over there love boxing. They love it. And they they got young fighters coming up now. They had Prince out there, uh, and their hotels are like nine-star hotels. <laughs> and they call me from over there all the time. He calls me like four in the morning all the time giving me updates. Like, man, you won't believe these fighters, man. He's like, these guys are so good. He's like, they're talented. You know, they just, you know, need some polishing. But, man, they're going to be sick. And when they bring these fighters into the game, he said, they're going to be ready to go. And he's like, Floyd has got the, right now, the, the lead on all these young fighters out here in Dubai. So he's been out there, you know, doing business deals and basically doing some promotion for the skyscraper that he's investing in. So this is, a, you know, mostly a business fight for him. They had to postpone it because it was supposed to happen earlier, but they postponed it because, they had uh, the opponent they had wasn't good enough or something. It's like, no, we kind of need a better name. So I don't know. But now Anderson Silver's on that card and this and that. But let's get into Tank. Tank's situation from the last I heard, his Tank problem is he believes too much of what people say on the outside. He listens to all of the stuff that's on social media. He listens to everything. He's jealous of me. He wants to say he listened to the detractors. He believes Floyd's trying to destroy him. When Floyd was telling him in the corner, like, look, on TV they got you losing the fight. Man, you telling me I'm losing the fight in my corner in the middle of the fight? He's like, no, I'm not going to lie. I'm telling you how they got it on the scorecard. Like, I don't want you to lose. Tank always feels because Adrian Broner is his friend. And A.B., you know, always is telling him, look out for Floyd. Look out for Floyd. And it's like, Floyd didn't do anything to you, A.B. Everything that happened to you, you did. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So it's like, what do you want to blame him for? He didn't ever cost you any money. You he could have ran back from the club right with Floyd if he wanted to, you know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, come on. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was only so much, and then he signed Tank, and now Tank was giving you money and everybody else. But I'm like, dude, you're listening to too many outside people. If you keep, he complained about fighting Rose. They want me to fight this guy because they know this is my last fight. Why do they want me to fight this guy? I'm like, you should be happy you fight Rose. In your last fight, I would be like, great, I'm fighting Roley. Good. This guy has little experience at this level. I can knock this guy out, and that'll be that. So what's the problem? You feel right. Roley can beat you or something? Is that the reason why? Roley's fighting you because he, he didn't take the step-aside money. He filed for his – he's the one that's supposed to get the shot at the title. So he's your mandatory. So you have to fight him. That's why Roley's getting the shot. <clears throat> so they, he wasn't going to accept step-aside money this time. He said, nope, I'm exercising my right as the mandatory to challenge for the championship. That's what's supposed to happen. And he's like, I've exercised my right. You have so many days to fight me or give up the belt. That's the way it is. And then when they had the situation where they had to postpone it for his court situation and he got that taken care of, it was right back on the table again. Yep. Because it was like, hey, here we go. You've got to fight me. There's no way you're going to get out of it unless you're going to just forfeit the belt and then go fight somebody else. And that's what you want to do. But if you want to keep the belt, you're going to have to fight Rowley. And I do you even see him? Signing with somebody else, though, like another promoter? If he does, it would be dumb. But I think so, just, too. Uh, right. To me, I think it would be dumb, but you can go on the zone and do fights. I mean, Eddie Hearn got fighters over there for him. All the fighters he want to fight or need to fight is over there. Right now, after watching Taylor's well, last technically, time. they're kind of with ESPN, too. I mean, you know, Loma and... Uh, and uh, Combosis and Haney now. Yeah, he come on. He wanted that fight. If you want that fight, then sky's the limit. I don't see what the complaining and crying is about. <laughs> I'm like, Floyd them actually built you up and put you on pay-per-view and fights you shouldn't even have been on pay-per-view for. So I'm, if anything, they've given you an opportunity to be seen around the world on pay-per-view and put out there for people to buy it and talk about you and and put you on this pedestal. They kept you moving up the ladder. They protected you, yeah, but putting you in there with Josh Taylor at that time wouldn't have probably been a good idea. Or Lomacheco is a fight they wanted to make. They wanted you to get Lomacheco, but Lomacheco ended up losing to Teofimo Lopez. He decided to take that fight, and that was an in-house fight, so... That was top rank being top rank, saying, hey, this is going to be our way or no way, and they walked. They was like, we don't yeah, need to be fight. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does. Yeah. Very interesting I mean, to see what he does. I, I think it won't – I don't think he will. I think he'll just stay with Al and, and not have a promoter. Like, I, I don't know, you know. I mean, he can do like, it that way, but it's someone wants to do like a mini deal. Yeah, someone wants to do like a mini deal with him. That's different, but yeah, I, I don't see there's I don't see there's a this big reason to you know <clears throat> doesn't make any sense to me. 
I mean, unless someone it, just fucking backed up the bank on them and said, hey, it, just crazy numbers. It's like, well, okay, that's a little different, but, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you stopping by, and I'm going to be – my schedule's starting to straighten out a little bit, so it's not just so random time. So I believe next Tuesday I'll be doing a show. So I'll text right, you to remind you. All right, thanks. I appreciate it. All right, Garcino. So, it's good, good hearing from you, man. You take it oh, easy. Great hearing from you, man. And go wild, man, because, you know, that Dallas game tomorrow, everybody got the wild counted out. But I think right. they could take it. Yeah, man, uh, they're I having a great season, that's for sure. Star. And everybody's like, man, the Stars don't take them. They shouldn't have got that game. I'm like, wait. Watch this. I'm like, the Wilds going to win the game. It might be by one goal. We'll take it. <laughs> you got to have payback yeah, from the North Star. On the Star tomorrow. Yeah. Yep, they still the, the, the North Star. <laughs> exactly. Take that North out of there. Just call yourself the Stars. All right, buddy. You take it easy. All right. Take care. Yes, sir. So, Portland, 503. You uh, let me know when you're ready. And I'll and I'll go to you. Um, as far as like the what is that? Oh yeah, that Stanonius Butiev. Um, that's a pick'em fight. I actually do think Stanonius will win, but that is a pick'em fight. I mean, literally on the book, the highest I'm seeing on Butiev is is plus one hundred. And he has some minuses in there, too. So that that's a 50-50. I see that as what a lot of people do is just a, a hell of a fight. I like that fight a lot. Um, I think they're just bringing back, like, the, the Gamboa, you know, Cruz. I think Cruz took an L, so they're bringing him back. There's not many big names at these smaller weight classes. It just, it just seems like the run-of-the-mill We'll get you a win. People will know him. You're on this undercard, and then we'll go from there. It'll be a big crowd in Texas, so it's good for him to get in front of that. Um, the Cody Crawler, Jose Cito Lopez, Crowley did come off that big win, like John said. I think he'll win this, but I still think it's somewhat of a test where Crowley's at right now. He should win it, though. But if you do believe in Jose Cito Lopez, uh, you know, he, he's at least a three-to-one underdog. So that's something to look at. Another fight I'm looking forward to is the – this is a prospect fight. Um, Jose Venezuela, I saw him fight at the Armory. Now, he's a clear favorite. He's probably going to win the fight. But him in his – I think it's his 12th or 13th fight. I think it's his 12th fight. I think he's 11-0. Going against Francisco Vargas. I like that as just to get some experience against an experienced guy. Now, we all know Francisco Vargas is not the guy he was a chunk of years ago. Let's be honest. I said it when he fought for Chelt the second time. He probably didn't need to go in and fight that one. You know what I mean? Because that, that one was way more rough and one-sided than the, the, than the first one. But, um, I mean, Vargas had his moments and stuff like that. So, you know, Vargas is over the hill, no doubt about it, but he is one of those guys like, for instance, he went the distance with Cruz. You know, a lot of people thought he was going to get murdered there. So, like, 
Francisco Vargas passes prime, no doubt, but he's taken on a prospect who's 11 and 0. It's not like this guy's been, you know, crazy rounds the whole time. I mean, I like this fight for a prospect. Uh, look at it now. Obviously, Connor Ben taking on Chris Van Heerden. That should be a, a pretty one-sided fight. I don't really see that being too competitive. Um, and Brandon Lee should knock out uh, who he's facing. Um, now, I don't see – oh, okay, so Portland actually fell off. He has some new headphones, he said, and he, the signal cut. Damn. Okay, but he's got Ugas. He's got Ugas winning. Okay, wow. Um, as far as my prediction goes on that, um, you know, Spence – I think Spence will win. But I am putting money on Ugas. I think Spence will win a, a very competitive fight, whether it's eight to four, seven to five. You know, for the first state rounds, I do think that it's going to be a competitive fight. I do think we're going to see Spence get hit clean with that counter right that everybody's talking about, kind of that right hook, right that I don't know, is it like a roundhouse right? Whatever it is, it is effective, and he's just a a crafty fighter. I talked about you know, some of the angles and movements. And I, I just, you know, if like the, the Lorme fight kind of stands out to me, he got dropped in that fight. Don't get me wrong. He dropped the Lorme ended up winning, but I think the Lorme low bloat or, or had a foul in that. I can't remember, but that was a good ass fight. It's going to be interesting once if they meet, not just in the middle of the ring, like they're just going to brawl right away, but <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see. I think Carcino really pointed out, defensively for a quote-unquote Cuban fighter, <clears throat> he's actually not all that great. I think his footwork, and he does carry kind of a higher guard, <clears throat> I think that is his defense. He's very uh, multiple and effective on offense, not in activity, but then sometimes activity wins fights, and that's where I see Spence's activity overall uh, winning out. And we're going to see about you know, that weight issue, you know, when he was talking about, you know, having so many issues and he finally, you know, finally settled down and, and or not settled down, but said, I'm going to, I'm going to have to get a nutritionist. Let's see if, you know, all that weight gain and then coming down and weight gain, let's see how that, you know, if there is a difference there, I got to see it to believe it, uh, you know, 100% anyway. Um, but we don't have a, a whole lot of time. We will go through some news um, to close it out here. Um, well, you know, actually, the new Triller Fight Club dates for this year, they released, like, a grip of dates. And, you know, obviously press releases are always, you know, uh, they're, not, they're not always over the top, but they're pretty over the top a lot of times. That's kind of the normal thing about it, but their press release for this one was like, oh, wow, really? Like, damn, like, oh, my God. It's like the they were saying that they were releasing the biggest the biggest schedule in boxing. It's like, well, who do you have on there? Are you actually going to have PBC fighters like this fight, uh, you know, with, um, with what's-his-toes? I, I don't know. And I mean Andy Ruiz. I think I spoke of it earlier. He's fighting. The MMA guy. And I remember Usyk was scheduled to fight 
this guy. But he actually popped, if I remember correctly, he popped on a on a drug test, um, on a banned substance, that Tyrone Spung or whatever. He he was gonna fight Usyk, and I remember going, oh, I don't, I'm not really crazy about this fight, so I'm not gonna act like I'm crazy about it for Andy Ruiz. But they released this schedule that just, I'm talking just major, but they said the most robust schedule of any fight league in existence, the largest slate event in 2022. And like I said, they announced like so many dates, right, from April 21st all the way through the rest of the year, right? But we got to see who they got. You know, instead of Fox, is the PBC going to be on Triller now? Like some of the fights on Triller? Is this, you know, Andy Ruiz fight the beginning of that? Well, then that'd be different because they have talent. But what talent are they going to continue? They have a lot of, lot of fight dates. But we'll, let's be fair, but let, let's see. Let's see what, what happens with that. And Daniel Kinahan. Daniel Kinahan has been the U.S. Basically, this this is reading from uh, um, what do we got for time? This is reading directly from the um, U.S. Department of the Treasury. It says Treasury sanctions notorious Kinahan organized crime. This was a two days ago. Today, the U.S. Department of Treasury Office and Foreign Assets Control designated the Kinahan Organized Crime Group along with seven of its key members. Um, basically, you know, that they're, they're, they're sanctioning him, basically. Blocking property of transnational criminal organizations. Um, and, you know, they're the U.S. Customs, Border Patrol, or Protection, Ireland's National Police, the U.K.'s National Crime Agenda, European Union Agency for Law, the Kinahan Organization, this is what they allege, uh, the crime group smuggles deadly narcotics, including coke, uh, cocaine, <laughs> to Europe and is a threat to, you know, the illicit economy through its role of international money laundering. Um, and there has been some quotes, especially from Bob Arum. You know, Probellum came out and said that, you know, we actually have rel- – this is what they said. Um, Probellum takes the sanctions made by the U.S. Treasury extremely serious, and the business and its employees will be fully – um, let's cut off there. Compliant with them. We have retained counsel in the U.S. to ensure that we fully comply with all the rules, regulations, requirements related to this matter, including not working with individual with any individual or company that has been placed under U.S. sanctions. This includes Daniel Kinahan. Uh, Bob Aram comments implied that Top Rank has ceased business relationship with ProBellum are baseless. Um, Top Rank is a competitor, and since ProBellum's inception, Top Rank has never worked directly with us. Any suggestions that Daniel Kinahan is a shareholder or owner of ProBellum are false and defamatory. So, um, but Bob did have some quotes, you know, basically saying, I'm a law-abiding American citizen, and I'm willing to adhere to those sanctions. All that stuff, the U.S. government doesn't make an allegation like this unless there's evidence to back it up. So, case closed. You cannot take the U.S. position and treat it lightly. It's very, very serious, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, He's got another quote saying, um, 
We won't we won't have anything to do with Probellum, and we're looking to cut ties, uh, whatever ties with MTK, the Daniel Kinahan Link Promotional and Managerial uh, Company. And uh, Sarah Shepard asked, if you cut whatever ties you have with the MTK, don't you lose a huge number of top-ranked fighters, including two of the biggest names? I think he's talking about uh, Taylor and Fury. Will Aram actually do this? That's a good. That's a good question. So I, I do want to say that Alan Dawson, as far as boxing wise, he's got a from the insider. He he's been on the case and he's been doing a great job. Jake Donovan, of course, normally uh, as always uh, did a great job with his article as well. There's been a couple other. Now some folks are really uh, you know this is now they're all of a sudden coming out you know. And saying stuff, but this is uh, this is from from someone from Male Sport. I've spoken to Bob Aram. We are not going to deal with blah 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 blah. He said we'll deal directly with Tyson Fury or his lawyer. Um, so, and he said I wasn't pleased with the number of things DK was doing in boxing. I was looking to severe or sever ties anyway. And I don't know if I believe that part, uh, that that other part, because it's like, well, you said some stuff about him. Oh, by the way. This is actually from Jake, a Jake Donovan tweet here. Um, Showtime lead-in portion will have a double header, but Showtime's offering a free trial for 30 days free starting the day of the fight, and then for four, the next four months, $3.99. So that's pretty good. Official attendance for that Ryan Garcia fight was 14495 The venue was originally configured for 12000 then they open it up to 15,000 midway through fight week. Passionate crowd tonight. This is from uh, Jake Donovan, who was there. Uh, so it's about to cut off. Uh, we don't have all the news. Oh, by the way, female fighter there, Nicholson, who's looked good in her, you know, as a prospect. She's actually on that April 30th guard as well. Um, in Meyer, or Mayer, uh, Michaela Mayer, she actually just extended three years with top rank. They got a good thing going there. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave off right there. Like I said, it's about to cut off. So at any point in time, it could just cut here. So let's, let's just pick one random. Okay. This is boxing Twitter real quick. Bibble's style reminds me so much of Sugar Ray Robinson. The way he holds his stance, the way he throws his hooks. Can't wait to see how Canelo adapts to this, if he can. They're, they're giving Bivol um, some Sugar Ray Robinson love. Interesting. Anyway, we'll be back next week. Enjoy the fights. Peace. Once you become the world champion.